and welcome to a new episode of the MinMax Show podcast, a place about games, friends, getting better. Thank you all for being here, each and every one of you. My name is Ben Hansen, joined by Mr. Cohort Kyle Hilliard. Hey, how's it going? Really well. Miss Cohort Janet Garcia. Yo, what's up? And an official MinMax contributor, Jacob Geller. I have a title now. Welcome. Hi. Welcome to the show. Uh, you know Jacob Geller, everybody listening and watching. You've probably heard him on this show a bunch of times. But in case you missed this announcement, on Monday of this week, we announced there's a new role with the outlet of Patreon and MinMax here, which is the contributor role. So coming back into the fray, first, but not foremost, but probably foremost to people listening and watching, Ana Diaz is returning as a contributor. We'll get into what that means in a bit, but she is back, everybody. Uh, Kelsey Lewin from the Video Game History uh, Foundation is also a contributor. She'll be on this podcast a little bit later. Joe Juba, formerly of Game Informer, and then Jacob Geller, YouTube essayist extraordinaire. Welcome aboard, sir. <laughs> Hello, I'm I'm so glad to be here uh, in in an official capacity. I feel much more confident now. Yeah, and you might. I, do... I like that you're working really hard to get a new GIF. Like you're trying all kinds of little quick two second. <laughs> Look, motions. I just want to count the people, but yeah, if you want to put a <laughs> welcome to MinMax below my picture, I won't say no. That's look, we all hate to admit it, but that's really the key to making content on the internet is you go from GIF out. Everything you say, <laughs> every action you do, every hand movement, GIF out everybody. Um, but hey, the contributor role, we have, we made a whole video about what it is who's joining, why they're joining, what it means. Um, and that is in the description of this podcast and in this YouTube video, if you want to click on that to get a full breakdown. But the basic idea is it's, hey, we are now, we're growing. Thanks to everybody supporting us on Patreon, you know, subscribing to our YouTube channel, spreading the word about the podcast. Because of that growth, we're able to help support these people directly. So instead of just being like, Jacob, please, will you come on our shows? Uh, now it's like, hey, how about you come on the show and make some hot Patreon cash, which I know you're all about, Jacob Geller. Yeah, I'm, I'm making fat stacks. <laughs> the, only, the only reason that I came on MinMax before was that one day I knew that's that right. you would pay me. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Eventually it would come through. Uh, but yes, so what that means is the contributors will be coming on, not to the extent that cohorts on, but if we have a gap, if they have an expertise, we'll throw them on content across everything under the sun. Somebody um, on Patreon sent me a message with the perfect way to describe it, and I wish I was this smart, where they said, oh, the contributors are kind of like Final Fantasy summons. Not there all the time, but when you need them, you summon them, bop, they amaze, they do 9,999 damage, so the pressure's on Jacob Geller, and then they go away. Um, so that's a great way of looking at contributors, and again, thank you to everybody for supporting MinMax, however you do it, um, and letting us grow to this point, and the more we keep growing, the more we can bring these folks on. Um, and if you miss Anna, uh, we miss her too. She she was actually already on content. Um, she was on Steam Secret Stash, uh, which is our show every single month where Sarah Podzorski jumps through the weirdest, uh, most obscure, strangest games that released on Steam within the last month. And last night, Sarah and Anna streamed a bunch of bizarre games. Um, and it was a little bit unhinged and feral, as Anna likes to say. Uh, so you can check out that archive on YouTube or if you can give us a follow on Twitch, we'd appreciate that. All right, we have so much show to get to. Can we get to the show, Janet Garcia? Sure. Okay, great. Um, well, hey, Benjamin Jennings wrote in. I figured this is a good way to, to kick things off. Let's jump right into a big game here. Because Benjamin Jennings writes in and says, Hey, for the Returnal conversation, I'm curious if Kyle or Jacob felt the narrative sequences made the game's story more compelling slash confusing. Does it make you more excited for more story content from Returnal in the future? So... Table setting! Returnal Ascension released, which is the new DLC, which is 
Co-op? What's what's the what's the big headline here for what Returnal Ascension is all about? Well, so there are kind of two different parts. Uh, there's co-op for the main campaign, the part that already existed. Okay. And then separately, there is an an infinite tower, almost. I mean, I guess Returnal already is a roguelike, but this is it's truly just like you are just going up floors and it keeps getting harder. And yeah. that's that. And that's the better new part. I mean, I'm sure co-op is cool, but like I haven't done any co-op. I've been running that tower like it's my job. Interesting. Yeah. And and the cool thing about it is it has a bunch of story content and you can beat it like you can hit a point. At least I hit a point where I was like, you can, yeah, you can, you can kind of roll credits. Like the tower never ends twice. You can see all the story (laughs) stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I know you guys recorded the max spoilers on Returnal, so you can check that on our YouTube channel or on the Patreon exclusive podcast feed, all that fun stuff. Um, But it's interesting talking or at GDC, the director of Returnal gave a talk where he explained that like, you know, there is not a canonical ending to this game. Even the game's developers do not know ultimately what's happening in this mysterious world which is a cool idea but so getting back to benjamin's question then like how much does this add to the story of eternal it's it's Uh, like a it's not it is not really uh an addition to the main story of the game it is just a kind of different part of Celine's history or whatever so it's like it's not like the ending is any more clear but you you know more about her relationship with her mom is is it's all about her what it is okay so which is was a hanging thread from the main game Mm because they kind of like i think it was jacob maybe correct me if i'm wrong but if you got like the the ultimate ending that's where there was like a tease for so and it's funny to say tease because it's like it's really these like metaphors about their uh, Celine's relationships with these people. You know, it's not like it was a cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah, it's it's nothing is like really nothing is like a guaranteed like, oh, this is exactly what happened. Uh, and I understand everything now, like everything in the Ascension DLC, which, by the way, I love. OK, it's I really thought it was great. I really thought it added a lot. It really kind of condenses the main sort of returnal experience down to something a little bit shorter while adding all kinds of new stuff. Like you get these really ultra powerful weapons that are really fun to use. And uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a fantastic extension of the game. I, it was one of those DLCs where I'm like, I can't believe this was free. I would have happily paid for this. Yeah, I would have I would have paid, I don't know, fifteen dollars for it and felt like totally satisfied. That's, um, that's awesome. So the story part in, in kind of literal terms, it's like in the main game in Returnal, there's like that house that you keep going through and it changes. Right. A, a good way to think about it is like in this, the house is like a hotel hallway or no, not a hotel, a hospital hallway. Excuse me. And so it's like it's it's smaller. It's, you know, kind of just one hallway with stuff. But you do have the same thing of like you walk down it repeatedly and there's different stuff that happens and and eventually when you've kind of done enough stuff in the tower you get like a a kind of conclusion to that hallway okay gotcha um just if you liked returnal like apps and you want to play more like it's totally worth playing yeah i mean this is like when i want to play returnal which i do all the time this is this is like what i'm doing now you know like i i almost don't even think I'm going to kind of go back to the like normal roguelike part of the game because this is just like such a tight loop of like gets me doing exactly what I want to be doing almost instantly 
can um, I can I jump right great. to that? Like I, I liked what I played of Returnal, but I did not beat it. And if I was having a tough time with some bosses, I mean, could I just jump right to this and just treat it like a little more compact roguelike thing? Yeah. That seems yeah, cool. I think I mean, there's some stuff that like you unlock some abilities within the game that would definitely make the tower easier. Um, you know, like there's that grappling hook, but there's also like stuff that makes you immune to lava and like there is lava in the tower. And so whatever. But like you could just if you just wanted to play some, you could hop in right now. Yeah, that's cool. Hey, did you there of you guys play Next Machina, their last game? House yeah. Mark's last game? Um, I don't think I did. No. I'm curious if you ever went back to it, Kyle, what'd you think? But apparently in that GDC uh, panel, which we talked about in the GDC podcast with Leo, which was a Patreon exclusive, but they talked about how they cut a boss from Returnal that was like a giant homage to Next Machina. It was like the giant like mm. machine head thing from Next Machina. It's like, I almost wish it was in there just so more people would have maybe asked questions and gone back to play Next Machina because it's such a cool throwback Robotron-like experience. Visually, one of like the coolest indie games I've ever played. Like just that everything is voxels and so it's just like everything on the screen is exploding all the time yeah totally here's here's a thinker again pulling from that gdc panel but the director and janet help me out here you're you got an encyclopedic brain the director was saying that like yeah it doesn't seem that revolutionary of a game but 3d third person bullet hell games we didn't really have a model to go off of and it was one of those things of like well surely third person bullet hell must exist but like i guess kind of that slow neon take there's not that many like i mean it's it's, it's near gemini yes it's near n- it's near automata it's the only example yeah. really yeah. that's like on the tip of my tongue i think you're totally right is there something that we're missing people in the chat people in the comments backstage pass help us out because it is a weird thinker of like it, it must be a tougher formula to pull off than you'd think I don't know. Anyways, um, that's it. Uh, but Returnal Ascension, everybody. You know their final words there, Kyle? You're going to keep playing this thing or is it just kind of a fun, nice detour and then you'll get back to 2022 games? No, I, I think I'm done. Like, I, I got all the story stuff, which is what I wanted. And it, and it's really satisfying in that regard. At least I found it satisfying. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I don't think... Uh, I mean, it is like what Jacob's saying. Like, you... It is this sort of... If you're, if you're like, man, I really want to play Returnal this is the thing to go to because you level up faster and it's like more condensed. And it's like, like he said, like to repeat Jacob again, he just said this, but it's like, it gets you to the fun stuff faster. Yeah. You know? So, but like, yeah, I don't know. I probably, it, it, I, I probably won't play it again unless there's like new stuff to be added. Gotcha. I'm climbing the leaderboard. I, I almost cracked the la- the top 1000 last night and it's oh, took wow. a long time, but it's like, that's my new goal. <laughs> that sounds like a hell of a goal. Hey, uh, Janet, Yes. <laughs> Have you been playing Lego Star Wars? No, I, oh. I haven't actually. Uh, I haven't gotten around to it yet. Um, okay, so this is Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker saga, the game that has been in development for a very, very long time. A lot of development issues with this thing. Kyle, did you get a chance to check it out yet? I did, yeah. Oh, awesome. So I, you played episode one, right? Yeah, jumped into episode one. Because you can choose at the beginning like which which trilogy you want to start with. But the whole idea, obviously, is all nine films have been recreated here. Yeah, so I went four. So I played the first couple episodes of the original, you know, A New Hope. So yeah, yeah, awesome. Okay, so, yeah, table setting for Lego Star Wars Skywalker Saga. We talked about it, I mean, years ago. I mean, they showed it in a big way at what, E3 2019, they had a gameplay demo, and then it's just been in development hell. Stories have come out that it's because they were trying to push for a new internal engine, so it was that classic game development woe saga of like, oh, we have a 
new game coming and we're also building the tools at the same time and it's kind of a cyberpunk situation where that rarely goes well um to try and develop those hand in hand and so it's all falling apart and then came back together they managed to get this thing out the door and now it's just this gigantic lego game uh, kyle i take it you would played some of the lego star wars games in the past right um very little like lego is like a weird i don't really like the series that much like i just don't find them that it's, it's this weird thing i was thinking about it i was like why why is the lego why have the lego games never really appealed to me and yeah. it's like there's a handful of games where i just kind of can like see the matrix and they just feel too gamey to me like i could they don't i don't lose myself in the fiction right i don't like <laughs> what Right, I know it's a weird thing to say, but like Animal Crossing is one where it's like I just see it's like this is just random tasks that go forever. And Lego, I kind of like weirdly you? have this. <laughs> I have like the weird thing where it's like it's just it's so apparent like how it works, and it's like like and I don't mean like that it's like a simple game or anything like that. Like right. there's a lot of complicated things going on here, but it's like it's, it's very Lego. much like okay, well I got to go here and build this. Okay, now I got to kill these three guys. Okay, now I got to go over here. It just it feels like a series of like repetitive tasks which is like how you can define a lot of games but for some reason i can see it with lego where i can lose myself in other games and i don't know why that is yeah what was uh, your hot take jumping into this game do you have any uh, big first well, impressions the thing that i the, the couple big positive things about it was like oh this kind of feels like a third person shooter like I, it leans into that more than i thought it would which is cool yeah. i like that and then the other thing that i was like weirdly like i was like oh this is kind of like this it's like there's those moments I love from those original films that like it's like, for example, like you meet Obi-Wan and then you walk to his house. <laughs> oh, that's good. And I was like, ooh, this is cool. Like I, I'm walking to Obi-Wan's house like this in the movie is just like a cut. You know, they're in the house. Right. And so that kind of stuff was weirdly fun. And it was like, oh, I'm in Moss Eisley and like walking around. And there's all these characters like and these levels are huge. Like they feel like like legitimate like recreations of these like you know places from the movies but obviously they're made of lego like it's all kind of this weird parody so like that part that part i enjoyed of just like being in a version of the star wars universe and it looks good too it's a good looking game it is a good looking game yeah it's available on everything i'm curious to see what it runs like on last gen or, or switch um but yeah, that is the thing is this time they're trying to embrace more of like the sandbox appeal of less just doing the kind of overhead camera, this area, then this area, then this area. Now it's more, hey, there's a bunch of weird toys and, you know, vehicles to drive around in this area. Like even being on Tatooine in episode one, there's just silly stuff like you can go up to a uh, Bantha and you can like force control its brain then it's like abe's odyssey and you can like control this panther and run around the streets on tatooine and then like it has like this funny picture in picture thing where it shows like qui-gon like oh and his face is taking up like half the screen as you're controlling this bantha it's just a lot of good silly stuff like that and even like you know getting to the pod racing sequence like oh this looks way better than i thought it would i think is kind of an overwhelming thing and i was streaming it and i think at this point just about everybody has played the original Lego Star Wars, even that, or, you know, the original trilogy and all that stuff for all the different versions of old Lego Star Wars. Um, and so it's funny just seeing everybody come into the Twitch chat and be like, oh, how is this game? And then after a minute, they're like, yeah, I'm going to have to buy this. Like, there's no way around it. It's just like, you see, like, a really good-looking version of Lego Star Wars. There's just something immediately appealing, and it's like, okay, they're, they're shaking it up enough where I'm on board again. Well, let me ask you, like, yeah, as someone who didn't really play the original, like, Lego Star Wars, I remember them mm. coming out. They were huge. Um, is this, like, a remake? Like, are the same gags there and stuff like that? Like, do C-3PO and R2, like, 
enter an escape pod in like a washing machine? Was that all in the original? New, game like new gags, baby. And speaking of gags, okay. I, I mean, love isn't this. It also, really is isn't it like game. the third remake? Like how many yes. times have they made the original trilogy? <laughs> it's a yeah. great question. So it gets complicated. So they made Lego Star Wars one, which was the prequel trilogy. Lego Star Wars two, which I think was the Lego Star Wars two, the or Lego Star Wars the original trilogy. That was that, and then they made Lego Star Wars the Complete Saga, where they effectively just combined those games. I don't know how much they're really remaking. I think it was just kind of a weird combination. Lego Star Wars three was Clone Wars, but where this gets really messy is they released Lego Star Wars uh, Force Awakens right after that movie came out. And then in that, <laughs> they also remade part of Return of the Jedi in that bundle. And so now this is just like this confusing thing where they're redoing these over and over and over again. It reminds me of like, they released uh, Lego, Indiana, Lego Indiana Jones and then uh, Crystal Skull came out. So they made Lego Indiana Jones 2 just like a couple years later and redid all of the original Indiana Jones trilogy. And they're like, they're just masters of like, all right, what new joke can we tell about this scene over and over again? But no, the new gags, new gags are good. Like it's so stupid, but this kind of stuff makes me laugh where uh, like the first cutscene basically in force or in uh, Phantom Menace, when they call up the, you know, Newt Gunray and all those classic characters when they're on board and talking about the Trade Federation and all that stuff. Like the first time they call him up and they see him, like <laughs> Palpatine is standing right there. He's like, oh, 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 and he like hides off camera. But I love just like opening Phantom Menace with just like clearly showing, yeah, it's Palpatine, everybody. So, well, you know, there was one it. gag that made me laugh where it was Luke was asking Obi-Wan, so what happened to my father? And it cuts to Obi-Wan and he just does that like, like, just like grimaces like oh i can't tell you you know that made me laugh yeah it's it's confusing with this one they got anthony daniels believe it or not c-3po came out of retirement he was to available to play yeah, they actually got that dude uh then, my calendar <laughs> and then billy d williams is back and then the rest are sound alikes which is really wild and like especially compared to for lego force awakens because they got harrison ford they got carrie fisher like everybody was in lego force awakens but that was more of like using lines from the movie mixed with some new stuff, yeah. whereas this seems like it's it's pretty reworked from the ground up, but it works well. You know, I was thinking while I was playing, uh, Mark Hamill, he never voices Luke in like video games for some reason. Never has, I don't think, really? even though he's like a, I don't, I could be wrong about that, but I don't, like even like Rogue Squadron, I don't think he voiced Luke Skywalker in that game on N64 and stuff. Huh. But uh, he does like a killer Harrison Ford impression. Yeah. I was like, man, that would be really funny if they hired Mark Hamill to play on Solo instead <laughs> of these games. I, I feel like he would do it. He has enough of a ham where I feel like he would take that bait. I would love that. It. That would just be so weird just for the headline of like, that would just be so strange. Totally. You could tweet about that. That'd be great. Oh, yeah. Um, I just saw, I forget which, I, mean, I think it was Fanbyte that wrote it up, but apparently there's a glitch in this game where you can, you know, use your lightsaber on anything and hack anybody apart and, you know, they just pop apart as Lego people. Except you can't kill children, obviously. You can't kill the younglings. So there's a weird glitch where if you get, like, a youngling into, like, an aerial combo and then just keep attacking it with your lightsaber, you can, like, just keep flying across the map. So if you're looking... I'm looking forward to the speedrun for this thing because it's going to probably uh, involve... Anakin canonically did that in Star Wars Episode Three, actually. Yeah, that's that's, what, so that's part of the plot. That's right. It's why they had to cut away because it was just too expensive to shoot. But in the novelization, it's very... <laughs> Very clear that there was a flight glitch. Um, uh, hey, oh, one last thing, I, I yeah. did. I did hit some bugs. Um, I don't know about you, but no, I, on I, uh, Geonosis. No! 
all these jokes. He just, you got to leave now. You're not a contributor anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I, like at weird things, like the camera will just linger way too long after like a cutscene ends oh, really? and stuff, even though gameplay is still occurring. Like not, not nothing I had to reset the game for, but uh, enough times where I was almost like, I might have to reset the game to get back into this thing. Oh, yuck. Yeah, I guess it, uh, it crashed on PC once for me. Um, okay, so not too bad for you. Well, you know, I guess that's pretty bad. But I was like tabbing around and running the Twitch stream, so I didn't know how much of it I was responsible for. But uh, no online co-op, just so you know. But there is local co-op. So um, I know Kai, or not Kai, but uh, Leo just played through Lego Star Wars, the original, with his girlfriend in co-op. So I'm curious to see if he gets around to this, what he thinks about that, having like the true co-op full Lego comparison back-to-back. Um, hey, Jordan Blaney wrote in here, and I know this is something that I've talked about a lot, but I can't get enough of it. Uh, Jordan writes in and says, now that Lego Star Wars Skywalker Saga is out, what series would you like to see Lego tackle next? I would love a Lego Power Rangers or Lego Into the Spider-Verse. Very fun idea. Yeah. Uh, Lego Glen Gary Glen Ross. Yep, yep. Lego A Few Good Men. Lego A Few Good Men, that's right. Um, no, this Lego, is, Lego the Nolan collection minus Batman. So just like the Prestige, <laughs> yes. Memento, Memento, yeah. Tarantino <laughs> Lego. There you go. I feel like honestly, a Kill away. Bill Lego, like the the fight against the crazy eighty eights or whatever, would be incredible. <laughs> Lego Kill Bill. How That's would the they, black and white, right? Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think. <laughs> would Lego Kill Bill sell better than Lego the Hobbit? Is there a chance? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Would it sell better than Lego like, Rock why Band? Why not? Um, I, I feel like I've been screaming about this for too long, and I even was begging the creative director for Lego that there's so much money right there on the table, and they're not doing it. I want Lego Old Testament. Make a Lego Old Testament game. You tell me every Brilliant. family in America would not buy that, just like tale style comedy. And I feel like they're British. Maybe they aren't as tapped into like how big that Christian market is. I really think Lego Old Testament that would annihilate. Christian market. Yes, we tapped into it for New Show Plus this week, Janet. You know how it works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a, yeah, a lot of money to be made. That's that, right. I mean, I've like I have been to a. I don't know where I saw this, but it's like I, I think I once babysit a kid who like had a Lego. Maybe it was the New Testament, Ooh. but it was like it was it was like a, a you know, full illustrations, like not sanctioned by Lego, but it was like a Lego Bible. What? Wait. The Bible itself made of Lego? No, it was just, it was showing, it was like, you know, here's like Moses or Jesus, depending on the testament. But it was, it was like minifigures doing stuff. Wait, so it's like. For God loved the earth, he gave us his Lego son. Yeah. That's right. It was like Mega Blocks Jesus? And this was just on a table? No, no, it was, it was pictures. It was like you set up a diorama of like a, a New Testament scene and then took a picture of it. And then did that for the whole New Testament and made a book out of it. Huh. So, right. um, Starkiller on the backstage pass is saying that it's there's a legit Lego Old Testament book. Really? Okay. Well, that, there you oh, go. There that's you the one I saw. That, that, that should be what they're tackling next. Um, but it is confusing because I don't know if you remember this story, but it looks like 2K is going to be making Lego games. Like they're finally shaking it up and it's not just Warner Brothers. And so Sumo uh, Digital, they're making a soccer game 
which is probably going to do gangbusters. Um, and then also Visual Concepts, who has made the NBA games, made the wrestling games. Um, they're going to be making an open world racing game, which I feel like a throwback hmm. to Lego Racer. I think people are going to be gaga about it. Was it Lego Island? Is that what? Lego Island's that? huge too. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. I feel like if you tap into that market of just the nostalgia for that weird offset Lego stuff, I think people just call it Lego like, Island too. Like, don't yeah. even just call You're right. it that. You know, absolutely. There was a Lego NBA Jam thing at one, like, there were, like, Lego NBA sets, right? Yeah, totally. So they could just, I mean, it's like, I, I think whenever there is any sort of sports tie-in on anything, it's just, like, infinite money. You know, it's just like, hey, you want to just, like, buy your favorite character, except they have a Lego jersey of your team. Like that's that's it. That's printing money. That's printing money. That's what we care about here on this podcast. Uh, speaking of printing money, how about those indie games, huh? <laughs> we were, yeah, we were like thinking about like what transition. we wanted to talk about on the podcast this week, and there's a weird moment of just like, oh, you know, it seems like obviously Elden Ring, Pokemon Horizon. There's so many huge games out in this quarter, and it's like there's a lot of kind of good new indie games that aren't really maybe getting uh, their time under the sun. Uh, one of them, which Leo talked about a little bit a couple weeks ago. Um, and we want to talk about and unpack a little bit in the future, uh, a little bit more is Weird West, which seems, it feels like the cool, smart person's choice for a uh, game of the year at this point. Janet, you, you started it, right? Yeah, I'm like two hours into it. Um, yeah. I'm into it so far. I don't know if that'll change or how that'll evolve. Um, it's funny because I was like playing it just pretty much cold, like for my audience. And people were like, um, how, on a scale of one to 10, how weird is it? The game's mm. called Weird West. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's not very weird. It's just totally normal game. And then like some story stuff kicks up and I'm like, oh, now it's weird. And then like more story stuff kicks up. I'm like, now it's really weird. So uh, it does get weird if you're looking for something uh, to to be a little bit funky. But I love just I, I am into it. The detailing of it. I think the art style is really cool. Yeah, uh, it's an immersive sim and you can do a bunch of just really fun stuff again it's kind of part of the genre, but even just something as simple as like, oh, you could walk into a fire and like light yourself on fire. Don't do that. Um, when you see bodies, you can dig a hole and bury them. That but is then like, you know, your shovel deteriorates. That is the stuff. weirdest thing about a window. It's great. Yeah. Like starting that game up and just like, hey, every animal you come across, every corpse, if you had a shovel, you can just bury everything you see. It's like, I love that just weird playground angle. I'm kind of yeah, into burying like, corpses. Little stuff like, you know, oil and like that you know when you light that up like the, the getting a really big blaze going right. um, i will say the the thing i and then i think the writing's really good and the voice acting's really good also oh, voice acting in a game that has text i know not everyone can afford to do that so i'm not shading you if you don't got voice acting in there but thank god because i'm like i would love to not read hmm. so this is this is pretty good um and there's some like really fun choices to be made like you at one point early on you interrogate someone and it's like you know do you like vaguely threaten them play the nice guy or like break their finger and then it's like then you break another finger and it like it's like like they have some it's just some fun choices some fun world building yeah um the big knock against it at this point i would say and i know leo had some comments on this too but the the shooting and like the combat i'm mixed on it i will say it's not good uh i don't really know anyone that would play it and feel like it's good right i wouldn't necessarily I kind of hesitate to say it's bad. It's definitely a stylistic choice. I will say even in the style they did, they could have maybe done it a little smoother. So the way it works, it's 
it's like really stiff and kind of old school arcadey. But if you've played actually uh, Oregon Trail on Apple Arcade, the combat kind of feels like that. The like hunting when you get out the game? wagon, you start just shooting people where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't really have good control over it. And it's kind of going too fast. That's how the combat is. But there is stealth. So like that. Yeah, I, I'm not like hating the combat. It's its own kind of fun. But I will say it's. Definitely not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And I think it is the weakest part of the game by like a pretty clear shot. Yeah, it's on Game Pass, though. So check it out. We'll be talking about it more in the future, I'm sure. And Leo, I'm sure, will be screaming about it at the end of the year discussion on the fun stuff. Uh, speaking of um, endless screaming, more of a shrieking, actually, it was a couple weeks ago. Jacob Geller sent me a message on Slack and just said, hey, there's this game. You're never going to remember the name of it. It's impossible to remember. Uh, it's called Norco, N-O-R-C-O. Um, it's the greatest game ever created, and it's my new religion, and I need to talk about it as soon as possible. And it's been a couple weeks. There'll be a Lego so- adaptation of it soon. <laughs> That's right. So I feel like, it, I hope that the pressure has just been building inside of you, Jacob Geller, to talk about yeah, Norco. Yeah, I mean, which I is- do need to correct you that Norco yes. is going to be the smart, cool person game of the year at the end of the year. Like, I, th- th- honestly, there's almost no question in my mind. That's interesting. Um, so this is this is on Game Pass as well, right? It's It's on, but it's only on PC. So oh, that's PC why I Game couldn't Pass. find it there. Okay, interesting. Yeah, which is which is weird, but it is it's like a point and click uh, adventure. And so, although I'm sure they could put it on console, it's like it's only mouse controls. You know, it's like you use your mouse for everything, and so it's not you know a super. I don't know. It, it, you couldn't immediately see it on console. I mean, to be fair, I was you, you can use a controller for it on PC. I started playing oh, it. And it's like okay. it's it's well, yeah, you're moving around. A, basically controlling a mouse and hey hold the right trigger to move the mouse faster like that type of kind of clunky point and click adventure um so here are the things people are comparing norco to uh all you smart people are saying this is like kentucky route zero and this is a little bit like disco elysium is that and and a, a third one that's not a helpful reference to most people but i think the game it is gameplay wise most like is hideo kojima's snatcher Ooh, um, okay interesting because it's it, it's like it's more there's more kind of like uh well disco elysium is a hardcore role-playing game where there's no combat so you just talk to everyone yeah. kentucky route zero an almost completely linear just like walking simulator where you talk to people and norco is kind of a detective story but not really a role-playing game and so it it's between those two, but you are like solving puzzles in a in a point and click fashion. And so there is a little more gameplay than something like Kentucky Route Zero, where you're really only walking from point to point. So what is it? What made you jump out of your seat and say, huzzah, cool person game of the year? Really, the the thing about it is it is just one of those kind of like artistically singular games where the the setting of this the basis is like norco is a a small kind of poor town in louisiana it's got a giant oil refinery right in the middle of it it's in the future but in the very near and mostly unchanged future uh it's like there are robots but also Everyone drives the same cars and lives in the same houses. Love it. Presumably because like the future is for rich people. And like right. like this place has stayed the same because you need to have money to be able to do whatever. Um, and and your character is a young woman who's kind of 
been out of town for a while and came back because her mom died. Um, and there's just this kind of mystery of like what exactly happened with my mom's death and where's my brother and what's going on with this town. But it's just like it is just an incredibly written game and the the writing about the city itself and the setting is incredible. The writing from the characters is is really funny and offbeat and, you know, like really specific. And it just feels like it just feels like someone writing about something that they like. Know exactly what the tone of what they're doing is. I don't right. know the history of the developers, but like it would be shocking to me if they were not from an area kind of like this. Yeah, rural Louisiana. Uh, it, it definitely. I started it up. I, Kentucky Red Zero. I had a tough time with Jacob Gallon, where it's like I, I just not. I'm not smart enough for this. In Norco, I started up and I was like, I think I'm gonna throw in the towel. It, it's it's one of those games that if you like games that feel like you're reading a book. And I, I ain't got nothing against reading. I like reading a good book, but it definitely is just like, okay, this is this is that weird fusion of a video game where it's 30 to 40% reading a book. Yeah, it is. Okay. It is mostly reading. I would say that it does the way that Disco Elysium figured out dialogue, which I know people also compare to reading a book, but like really what you are reading are like tweet length bits of text yeah you know it never asks you to actually read a page in even a way like you know finding a, a note in skyrim does where it's like the whole page is filled with text it's just like just read 200 characters at a time and for me that feels much more manageable and less like reading a book than uh, than some other games but it is it is all reading, you know, <laughs> like that is what you're doing. Yeah. Well, the part that was interesting is building out your mind map where you like go inside of your mind. And is that just like backstory stuff? Like what is going on with that weird mind map stuff? Kind of. I mean, yeah. So you have you have access to your character's just brain. And basically, I think it's to it's to help keep track of all of the characters in the story, because mm. there are a lot. But like as as you learn about a character you have this kind of it, it's like a mental version of the beautiful mind wall with all the red string connecting different things right. where it's like your mom d knew this guy named lucky it's like who is lucky and the first time you hear about him it's just there's a guy named lucky and then eventually you meet him and so it'll fill in some more stuff and then gotcha. later you hear someone else talk about him and so it fills in more stuff and so really it's just kind of a history of all of the like clues that you've learned over the game, but because it's arrayed in this like really interesting way, they're like new writing and you get to, you get to figure out how like the character you're playing as thinks about them versus just how you as a player think about them, which is an interesting distinction. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, stop me everybody. If this is putting too much on Jacob Geller, but I mean, are we talking like you like this more than Elden Ring so far this year? I'm trying to figure I out. I would. The, I mean, it's there. There could not be two more different games, but like in in terms of kind of games that I like will think about while doing other stuff. Yeah, like this is taking up more of my brain than Elden Ring, just because it's you know it, it's the difference between like watching a sports game and watching like an art movie. It's like you're really invested while you're playing Elden Ring. And I think that game is thematically great as well. But Norco is like, 
it's built to linger. It's built hmm. to kind of that's a good way to put it. Stick around and and you'll see things in real life that will remind you of Norco. And yeah, it's it's right now it is my number two of the year behind Elden Ring. But wow, like, that's a weird distinction. Yeah, Norco, everybody, if you're interested, N O R C O, just on PC for now. Um, hey Janet, uh, you also I feel like it's been a while of you talking about. Hey, I played a game called A Musical Story. Which which yeah. seems cool. And then Geller, you also played it. I also played this game. Oh, awesome, Jenna. What is what is the hook for this thing? Yeah, it's a um, it's essentially like you're playing. It's a narrative game that you're like on a road trip, and it's also a rhythm game. It's more rhythm than narrative, I guess I'd say. The narrative is kind of in the background of the rhythm, and it's a rhythm game to its core, which means that you are instead of being asked to put in button inputs, you're asked to replicate a rhythm. So it's a one yeah. button input game. Um, and it's just, you're just following like the beat that's set for you and the sort of additional supports that it adds. If you maybe don't have the best rhythm or you're struggling with it and the sequences are very short, it's like a couple measures. If you were to write it, I guess, in sheet music, um, is it'll add sort of like a display on when you're supposed to like press the button, the more you fail. Uh, And you can like toggle that on and off if depending on if you want like more help or if you don't want any help and you want to go like super hardcore in a musical story for some reason. Um, And then that's what I did. Yeah. Really? Okay. I'm interested to hear what that is like then because I played on just normal where they did add the supports. Um, But I really liked it. Also, it it has like really cool, interesting, stylized art. It looks great. Um, So it's like this weird music video running in the background of like with that kind of has a story and you're like out here just like playing songs. And the thing I really loved about it was that it reminded me of the nice monotony that can come from practicing an instrument but it was easier than playing an instrument and it goes by quicker so i'm like oh this is great it's like gives you that taste (laughs) and sort of helped reinvigorate i think elements of of playing music in real life that i sometimes struggle to re-engage with when you know the last thing you ever want to do is sit down and practice but i'm like oh yeah the playing stuff is fun yeah so 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 watching the trailer it seemed like it's about like a big music festival in the 70s called pinewood and it's people you're like reliving it's, the it's memories. It's like the road trip to that music festival. Oh, you know, okay. it's like you're a small band and you you get all your people in a van and go drive there and stuff happens while you're driving. But then you're it's a music rhythm game about experiencing that stuff again. It's like you're on the road trip and the songs are kind of meant to be um like the melody and the vibe of the song is meant to replicate like the okay. mood. So it's not okay. So it's not all like in the past because I think the trailer was confusing. It made it seem like you're in the hospital or something like reliving these moments or some nonsense. Well, you kind of like you wake up like spoilers for the first 10 seconds of the game. You like you're in a hospital and it's kind of like the implication, at least in the beginning, is like, oh, maybe you're like in a coma and you're like looking back on what what happened before. Mm. And I guess the gap between you being in the hospital and the road trip is unclear. Like, was this 30 years ago or 30 minutes ago? You know, like, but yeah. Is it uh, is it fall into the camp of like kind of an interesting little thing or is it fall into the camp of like, no, you need to play a musical story? I think it's an interesting little thing. OK, yeah. I mean, like I, I beat it in an evening, you yeah. know, and like thought it was neat. The story itself isn't like, you know, it's cute. Like it, yeah. it won't it won't make you think about anything super differently, <laughs> I think. But I, I agree I with Janet that the the most interesting part is like. It feels very different than other rhythm games because like I guess the easiest way to describe it is like there are no falling 
gems that you're you know it's like every other rhythm game i can think of it's like here comes the note press it when it happens and this it's like what if we just didn't show you those notes is kind of what it feels like and so you really have to like think about the rhythm of the song more than with guitar hero or beat saber or any of those that's cool huh is this is this kind of like in the rhythm heaven kind of school of music games because that's kind of that makes me more interested, actually, because that's another um, music game that, you know, no falling gems, nothing really displayed on screen necessarily. Maybe it's it's very I mean, the the gameplay is very simplistic. Like it's it, it I don't know. It's it's hard because it's not it's like, like I if don't... you gamified if you've ever done that exercise in like learning music where they want, you know, you're trying to do the notes and your teacher might tell you to like clap the notes. It's like, what if instead of clapping, you're pressing a button on your controller? Yeah. So it's not really something that you could get like hardcore into. Like there, there right. aren't like difficulty. It's not like I got so good at a musical story. Um, but like it is, I don't know. It's, it is just kind of a fun little thing. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. There is, Another game, Kyle. I, I think you checked it out, right? Uh, that I am, I am smitten with, called Patrick's Parabox. I think it's just on Steam right now, but it is a puzzle game that is very much in the vein of like a Baba is You. Not to that level of like you know programming. Uh, was it that game, Steven Steven Sausage Roll. Yeah. That was what it was called? Yep. 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 So it, it feels like that. You know, it's not like you know you're programming with words like a Baba is You, but. Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong. Patrick's Parabox, the entire premise is, hey, you're a box, and then there's another box, or maybe a couple other boxes in this little level, and then you have to get the boxes to one spot, and you have to get to another spot, and that's it. And then it escalates in a way, which I would compare it to Baba's You, where it starts out like, okay, this is the most obvious thing of all time, got it. And then it's so fun to play a puzzle game where you start to realize, oh, it's capable of this. Oh, it's capable of this. Oh my God, that's so clever. And it just keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper into how effed up this is. And like the easy explanation for where like the first level of it is like, okay, you have to move this box to this part of the map and then get yourself to this part of the map. But then what if there's another box that has a little maze-like pattern inside of it? And when you try to go up against that box, you go inside of that box and shrink down. So now you're shrinking inside of a box and maybe you shrink down inside another box inside that box. As you're trying to navigate, infinite, you know, <laughs> shrinking and, and 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 it's it's the kind of puzzle game which Baba's you and Steven Sausage Roll that was the one it mainly reminded me of, where I was very quickly like, oh, okay, this is going to get hard as hell, yes. like really fast, because <laughs> it's like it's about like shrinking into like also see yourself outside and like you're there's a larger version of you existing outside of that. It's very, it's like uh, what's that game? Um, maquette yeah that i was just gonna say that sounds like the concept of maquette except like that that game didn't do it well it's like that but like like grid based box puzzles (laughs) right right Right. that's kind of what it is and yeah i played through the whole there's there's a demo which is free which is also uh which was nice it's it is mac compatible which is like a nice little a nice little thing so i played through it on my mac and um it it is it's 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 cool and it's it's uh it it seems like it will get very hard if you really want to yeah, <laughs> dig I, into it deeper. I guess there's like 350 puzzles. I look forward to having, yeah. to having the same arc as Baba's You, where it's like, oh, I like it. This is so fun. And then by the end, 
it's like, okay, well, I need to give up now, but I'm still going to have very fond memories of this. But like, <laughs> yeah, it, it, I was in love with it because uh, it got to play with my girlfriend and she's a thousand times smarter than I am. I'm sorry, my fiance. Um, and she's You're so much now. smarter than I am. And so it was just a matter of like, all right, I will help out where I can here and there, but I will just watch your brain wrap its gigantic mind around this thing and just like rapid firing through these levels it's it's a great way to play games if you don't really like puzzle games is just watching somebody who is super good at puzzles figure all this stuff out yeah also weird when that happens with someone who like does not play games that much like that happened with a friend with the witness where like i showed a friend the Mm. witness and they just like not a huge gamer but like made it through so much faster than me just because it's like well their brain is built for puzzles and yes. mine is built for kicking people with a sword <laughs> there's there's like a genre that is some kind of i don't know what we would call it like mist i feel like was the starting line yeah for that and then that game exists for like people who don't usually play games really love this kind of game but also people who like games play it and really enjoy it too totally but it's, and it's based around puzzles specifically I don't, yeah yeah, but uh, Patrick Trainer uh, made this game. It's called Patrick's Parabox on Steam if you want to check it out with that free demo and all that fun stuff. Um, and then another game that we've been meaning to talk about for a while, Far Changing Tides, came out yeah. a while ago now. This is the sequel to the very confusingly named Far Lone Sails. Kyle, right. uh, the easy pitch from my perspective, uh, and you correct me if I'm wrong, it's, um, it looks like it could be a play dead game, except it's about a boat. Yeah, play okay. that about a boat. <laughs> okay, that's great. What it's um, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, that's it's it's side scrolling puzzle, and right. then the sort of the boat, and in the last game it was a vehicle, it was like a car. Is like your move. You are basically in charge of moving this large vehicle from left to right over the course of the game, and sometimes that means you're like fixing things that are breaking. Sometimes that means you're adding new hardware on top of it that you find in the environment to get past certain things. At a certain point, your boat becomes a submarine. And then it's like Excellent. you're managing the engine and stuff like that. So it's it's this really cool kind of like slow moving. Look at this really, uh, really great looking environment as you kind of manage this vehicle, but not to the point where it's like s- too stressful. Right. It's right. not like was it FTL, right, where you're sort of jumping around trying to like manage a bunch of things. It's all very manageable and it's really more puzzle focused than like than strategy. It's like um, um, inside meets uh Lovers in a dangerous space time? Yeah, okay. totally. That's yeah, I was actually I didn't know if that was a good point of, of reference. I don't know how many people played Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. But, not, uh, enough. not enough. Not enough. Yeah, it's a good game. It's a good game. Uh, so you but, gave um, you gave that last game an eight two five, went back and looked it up, that far loan sales. Yeah. And far changing tides is just kind of feel like more of that, but it's such a cool, unique thing that yeah, it's it's like for, for for better or worse, it really is just a straight extension of that game. Like yeah. it feels like like a, a sequel that doesn't really re-examine the core idea too much but it's like there's enough cool stuff and there's enough ties to the first game where it's like it's it's enjoyable to play and there's a lot of cool sequences and like if you like play dead stuff and like another sort of thing that has become a genre like absolutely check out whatever this game is called i've already forgot (laughs) yeah this is the thing when you bring this up at the end of the year kyle if you're not able to recall that name far changing tides you're out you're out of the debate. I'm out. Dude. You're out. Oh, no. I feel like that's unfair to games that have not great names. 
I, I, if it's that's that just, great, I don't, I'm, I'm not. A, I'm not okay with these discriminatory policies. Yeah. I just feel like don't forget Norco. Do not forget that that game. Is I already Norco. can't remember that Patrick game. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I right? have had to Google like, that a thousand like, times. Yeah. Say what you want about musical story, but that it's it sounds right. like what it is. It is what it is, and I can say it. Yeah. I will also say Norco hard to Google uh, because I think intentionally, like it's the name of a like narcotic. Oh, <laughs> that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot going on there with that that SEO. You Which add, you know like, is like I, I'm sure it's intentional, but like you gotta Google Norco game. <laughs> you gotta do it. Um, hey, speaking of that musical thing, real quick. Um, there is a game that is on the horizon that I'm so curious about. I, I'm curious if you all know about it, but it, it used to be called Chorus, and now it's called Stray Gods. Oh, you mean Chorus? Chorus? Oh. No, not yeah, not like that. Not the sci-fi oh. shooting thing. That was oh. a different Chorus game. So there's this was a game more that, than one. Yes, there's more than one Chorus. There's uh, Cori. Uh, that's why this thing is now called Stray Gods. But it's uh, David Gator, who's a big writer at Bioware, um, especially with the Dragon Age series, but. Their mission is to make a video game musical, and then the composer for the game is Austin Winery from Journey and oh, Assassin's Creed oh, Syndicate. Cool. Yeah, it, 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 and it's dealing with like Greek gods, so it might have some rub off Hades love in there. But I was thinking about it with the musical story because that's what I thought it was at first. Jan, I was like, oh, is that that David Gator Bioware musical game? And not quite, but well, I'm, and the the hottest uh, Broadway musical is Hades Town. That's true. So, like the you know lots of <laughs> lots of ground to to pull fans from there. Maybe yeah. Who knows? Um, okay, uh, I was gonna say real quick, but hey, this doesn't got to be quick, Janet. We can talk about this as long as you want. Um, you finished Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Yes. Which, um, if you're a big historian of Minmax, you might have listened to last week's episode where. I revealed that, you know what? I don't think I respected Kirby enough. I've played several of his lovely games and have enjoyed them, but I was a little dismissive about Kirby in the Forgotten Land. And I felt so bad about it, Janet, that uh, <laughs> Janet's showing, showing her phone, which is covered in Kirby paraphernalia. So I felt so bad about it, I went and bought the game, and I have also finished playing Kirby in the Forgotten Land. And oh, I will now twist. join you. I'm a, I'm a big fan of this game. Um, I yes, regret my wow. words and deeds. I'm all in on Kirby in the Forgotten Land at this point. And like it, it took a oh while. Oh my god! What changed? I want to actually hear from you then. Like what? What happened? Mm. Well, what happened is I was looking for something to play other than Elden Ring, and the heart grew two sizes. Yeah, larger. <laughs> this is not. I'm not proud to admit it, but a big part of it too was like going to GDC threw off my entire podcast routine, and I need to go through like ten podcasts a day or whatever the hell. And so I was super backed up on podcasts. I need a good podcast game, but. I couldn't play Elden Ring because we were recording our discussion, which we recorded a bonus discussion talking about the middle section of the game, which is up on our YouTube channel right now. And so I was at a good stopping point for that discussion. So I needed something to play and something to go through all these podcasts with. So yeah, I bought Kirby and started playing it. And like, it's one of those where the first couple worlds is like, this is all very pleasant. Um, but if you hook my brain up to a scanner, I don't think a single thing would be going off. You know, it's just kind of like pleasant video game flatline. And then the more I kept playing it, the more I was like, you know, I really occasionally appreciate a game where you're never confused. You always know exactly where to go. And then every once in a while you get one of those like, oh, that's kind of clever. That's about it. And then I kept going with it and started thinking, like, you know, I'm a big defender of Sackboy's Big Adventure. And I feel like this is in that arena of just kind of, you know, underappreciated, solid little platforming experiences. And then I got to the end and I was like, I think this is a better game than Sackboy's Big Adventure. Because uh, without spoiling anything, Janet, uh, that ending is bonkers in a delightful way. Yeah. 
I mean, honestly, Kirby was Kirby in the Forgotten Land was never a bad game, but it continuously gets better as you progress through it. Um, I think even if you're whether you're hotter or colder on it than like me or Ben, I feel like that's pretty true. Like even if you en- end up leaving this game and not liking it, I think you would still feel like the it got better as it went on. Totally. Um, yeah, the the ending is insane. And, uh, you know, Kyle, I forgot if it was on content, but you pointed out that like the Kirby games often get kind of crazy at the end. Like you're flying through yeah, space and you're fighting yeah. God yeah. and stuff. Like, well, that's the know, thing. But, like, yeah, because Kyle, you mentioned, I mean, you're obsessed with the ending of Planet Robobot and how it turns into Star Fox at the end. Yeah, and, like, it's, it's, and I'm not just like like Star Fox. Like Kirby turns into a spaceship, and you're you are an Arlong, <laughs> yeah. like Which, fighting things. Yeah, and I love the idea of Hell just cranking out Kirby game after Kirby game, and everyone being like, "Yeah, it's another Kirby game." But then secretly, it's like, "No, if you finish this, though, that's where we go off the deep end and just go nuts." And if you play through it, you know. If you know, you know. Yeah, and what was really impressive to me was like just so many things honestly because i think ending games is like super hard in general endings are hard that's why people usually hate the ending of all their favorite shows because it's such it's so difficult to finish something in a way that's going to be satisfying and hit all these different marks and i think kirby just really i I haven't (laughs) this sounds so over the top but i genuinely mean it like i'm not exaggerating i haven't enjoyed an ending of a game this much since deathloop like Deathloop's final sequence of like that glory where I was like, yeah, this is what I want endings of games to be like instead of just like, let me guess, I'm fighting some boss, which I, what, playing Kirby, I figured, you know, there's a bunch of boss battles in it. I'm like, OK, cool. I'm going to fight something. I'm not sure what it is yet, but uh-huh. someone's going to show up and I'm going to fight him. But they had like like a suite of levels leading up to the boss. Like it was really a cohesive idea where I'm it's like, really oh, weird. this feels like it would be the end of the game. But I know I got like two things left. So like this isn't the final boss yet, but it kind of it's like the ending is the greatest hits of the game itself, which is really impressive. They're like, yeah. we're going to show you everything that makes this game awesome. You're going to go through all these different abilities. The level design is going to get interesting. There's going to be some cool combat moments and we're not even done yet. And then they just continue to scale it up. Um, and the end, some of the ending parts also get quite challenging. And like one of yes. the bosses also gave me a problem. The one that looks like a little armadillo like made of like, yeah, the dingo thing. Or whatever. Yeah, silly, silly, Dil- silly Dillo is this silly MFR's Dilly- name. Silly Dilly <laughs> whooped my ass. Yes, I will. I, I, you know, I can't even lie. I was live oh, on Twitch getting my ass whooped in this in a Kirby easy game. game. And I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, y'all, the game wasn't like this before. Silly I, this. Silly Dilly, like, trying to get promoted. Like, Silly Dilly's like, this is... I'm going to go above and beyond on this paper. You know, I brought up poster board. Like, obviously, you just learn how to dodge, and then it's not as bad. But, like, you know, um, yeah, it just blew me away. It it is weird, because, yeah, in the beginning, it it lets you choose your difficulty level, and I chose the harder one, which is kind of normal, otherwise compared to what easy spring breeze mode or whatever the hell the other one's called <laughs> and so like i can handle normal in a kirby mode. game that's it and i mean it is laughably stupid easy and then it was like okay you fight king ddd at a certain point around halfway through the game and it's like that was actually that was something and then the silly dillo mfr comes out there and it's like what's happening and okay i want to phrase this correctly but genuinely by the time the final final boss rolls around in this game I was more frustrated by the final boss in Kirby than anything I've done in Elden Ring so far. Now a I'm lot not. Of said I, that. I'm not a lot saying. Of said that. I'm not saying it's harder than Elden Ring bosses by any means, but just my own level of frustration of like genuinely swearing at the TV because it's just this confusing thing of like, wait, what? I, I'm dying like four times to this Kirby final boss. That's absurd. My heart was racing in that final boss. Like I was stressed. Yeah. And pressed. Like the only reason it didn't give me 
problems in terms of me having to do it multiple times, I didn't die, was because I got an ability that gave me basically like a health buff. Um, no spoilers if you, you know, you know, you know, like I upgraded sure. like all the abilities. So then I was like, okay, cool. Um, I, that, that saved me because I'm like, without that, I probably would have had to like be a little bit better because the thing is Kirby moves really slow so it doesn't have being in that like demon souls vibes where it's like it just takes me so long to dodge and get out of the way and yeah. you're trying to get your hits in and the area of attack is so big I'm like how am I supposed to die and playing yeah. this game I'm like there are going to be a lot of kids that are going to need to call in the older sibling yes. in this game because yep. it takes off the gloves and it will just beat you down. I'm like, there's a child somewhere crying at this boss right now. And the child's me. I look in the mirror and it's me crying. At <laughs> no, this boss and I don't oh know my what's God, going on. that's beautiful. Uh, yeah. And it's cool. Like, you know, you have your waddle D town that upgrades throughout and I'm a sucker for that. And you unlock Kirby's house and you can unlock the ability to go fishing and all these little mini games and stuff in there. It's like, this is, this is cool. Plus you got the classic boss, Clawline, which is Clawline. I don't know why they put that sexy boss in there. That was really upsetting for me. That's the only part of the game I don't like. Don't know why she's built her. She's like, why was she created? Well, you have to. I mean, the lore gets pretty complicated at the end of this game. I feel like they're trying to explain why Clawline exists. But I was trying to think of. There's a certain video game boss trope that I really love, which is help me out if you can think of other examples. But it's it's the boss who's agile and who jumps up and hangs on to the edge of the screen and throws down like throwing knives. And it's like it's Vamp. Yeah. Chameleon. It well, Vamp, totally kid chameleon. I was thinking like I just played this skate or die game on the Game Boy that has that. Like there's a regrettably named Chief Wigwam from Sunset Riders. Like that is just such a classic boss trope of just jump to the side on the wall, cling to it, and then throw down little knives at you. Always fun. Always a good time. So yeah, Kirby won me over. I'm not I'm not trying to get too hyperbolic with this thing, but just like absolutely better than I expected and a super solid little platformer that does a lot more than the demo implied to me at least. How how long did it take you? It was like beat it. I think how long to eat beat has it like at nine hours? That sounds about right. Yeah. It took me longer, I think, by a good bit. But I did like almost all the side stuff. Like Ben, did you spend much time in the side content and all? No, that? like the there's challenge a lot of, levels. Yeah, the challenge levels are super fun. I didn't finish all of those. Like some of those, like the the bomb chaining ones, I couldn't really wrap my mind around and stuff. Um, oh, yeah, and some of those are hard too. Yeah, like, they have difficulty scales. When it's three star, like they, it's genuinely challenging. Totally. Um. So I don't know. I probably spent. I feel like I spent maybe closer to twenty. I haven't checked my in-game clock, but I, I did a lot of it on stream, and I spent at least like five hours ending the game and a yeah. couple hours. Yeah, so I'm, I'm more in the low double digits personally. Yeah. But. but yeah, I'd like to personally apologize to um, our boy Kirby. Um, and Staircase Kirby is going to be our character of the year, I think, because he's just such a little charmer, that little Staircase yeah, this is, Kirby. This is definitely one of the best games I've played this year. I haven't made my yeah. top 10 yet. Um, I'm going to make that sometime probably this week. Uh, this is probably going to be in the top five, I think. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Um, hey, uh, Janet, do you know how this whole thing operates? Take a big swig and then let us know how you think this whole thing operates. Uh, I'm not going to take the swig, but I'm going to go ahead and say uh, Patreon. That's right. Patreon.com slash binmax with two ends. If you like the show, you can help support the show and help support independent games media so we can bring on the contributors more often and help support those folks for jumping in. We appreciate it. Patreon.com slash binmax with two ends. And thank you to all of our bigger supporters like Asmodee Games. They want everybody to know about the new version of Azul. Azul is genuinely in my top five for favorite tabletop games of all time. It's an incredible game, and this is the new expansion to Azul, um, which is has a whole theme of planting a garden. 
instead of just building out kind of these uh, bizarre Portuguese tile sets. In this one, you're actually planting a garden. They said it has new dual matching mode. Players play tiles and score by matching the tiles as patterns or colors, but cannot play two tiles that share both patterns and colors next to each other. But it's basically a more complex version of Azul. Has anybody else played Azul? You should, you should play it. I haven't. I haven't played it, actually. Kyle, it looks like you switched to the wrong mic, by the way. But uh, Azul, oh, no. like, I remember early on when I was getting into tabletop games, I was like, what's a good tabletop game? Um, or maybe the best. And I remember John Carson, who's now at Game Informer, he immediately recommended Azul. I was like, that's a weird name. I don't know about that. And now it's, it's genuinely incredible. So the new expansion, Azul, Queen's Garden, I haven't played yet, but I'm looking forward to checking it out. And follow MinMax on Twitter, because we'll be giving away copies later in the month. We just gave away five copies of Voices in My Head, so thanks for all that help on the tabletop front. Also, speaking of tabletop games, uh, it's going to keep rolling because we also have I Am 8-Bit who is partnering and they created the Eastward Limited Edition board game. Remember Eastward from last year, Janet? Yeah. Yeah, that delightful uh, JRPG throwback indie RPG from last year. That's right. Now they created a board game. It's a two to four player co-op game and it's uh, a very cool funky thing. You can find it at I Am 8-Bit's online store. The funky thing that I'm still trying to wrap my brain around is there's, you can buy the board game for Eastward. You can also get the vinyl soundtrack to Eastward. But then with the vinyl soundtrack, there's a separate tabletop game. But then if you combine them, one acts like an expansion for the other. There's a lot going on here, and it seems very cool. So you can help support cool stuff like this by going to I Am 8-Bit's on the online store and using the promo code. All right, every month they shake it up just to keep people from, you know, just posting it on Reddit and stuff. So this month, everybody, you can get 10% off everything at iMapit's wonderful online store by using the promo code National Soft Pretzel Month. No spaces. National Soft Pretzel Month is your secret shortcut for 10% off everything in iMapit's wonderful online store including the Eastward limited edition board game. And because they're so generous, each and every week, they ship out a prize to somebody from the Minimax community. If you support us at any tier over on Patreon, even that $2 tier, not only do you get access to the Discord, you get to submit questions to the show, comments and stuff for the deepest dive, you get to compete in Trivia Tower, but you submit questions to the show, and we choose our favorite, and then I made it ships out a wonderful online prize. And this, this time, they're shipping out Mega Man X, the legacy cartridge, which is very tough to find. Uh, Kyle, and I know that uh, it's a, it's quite a prize. So we need to look alive and remember each and every great question submitted here, and then we're gonna choose our favorite, and that person gets Mega Man X. Ready to go? Great. Yeah. Um, Janet, um, I understand you're a very busy woman. Would you mind uh, giving us one solid clap? Kelsey Lewin, welcome to the show. Hi, that's me. Should I say contributor, Kelsey Lewin? Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks for being here. The co-director of the Video Game History Foundation. Welcome. Um, yeah, it's an honor to have you on board as an official contributor, Kelsey. It's an honor to be um, elected, chosen, <laughs> however this democratic process works. Yeah, it was on a ballot in all 50 states, mm-hmm. and people chose you for to come on as contributors, so congratulations. Um, honor. Has there been like um, a favorite reaction so far? A reaction that surprised you, Kelsey, with the announcement of the, the contributor role here? Uh, I liked, I mean, there were like memes that happened, which I thought was really sweet. I don't, <laughs> it is <laughs> like there, there were a couple, you know, meme images in like the Resetera thread. Also, hold on. Is it Resetera or Reset Era? 
I, I, I don't know. I say Resetera. And also, better. what is that? Why is it a big deal when there's like a new forum thread? <laughs> this I, is something I've never understood. I mean, there's got to be a go-to place for talking about the game industry, right? Like a number one forum. And I guess it just became the default one. I don't know. It's, it's big. Can, cannot anyone make a thread? There's a confusing thing. You need to like, there's a whole approval process. You need to yeah, wait. You can't have a, a Gmail bit. email. It's complicated. Is that really what it is? It was something like that. I remember trying to sign up a long time ago, and I was like, you can't use Gmail. I was it's like, oh, okay. Confusing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thanks to everybody who posted about us there. We appreciate it. Um, yeah, it is um, It is weird to have gifts made of you, which we were talking about before the show, and then like just the meme stuff. Like It is, it is a weird layer of flattery on the internet that almost offsets mean comments. I think it makes it all worthwhile in a big way. I, I went on the MinMax Discord yesterday and like just, I was not searching for this, but I just happened to see that like a new emoji of like my face in the Game and Farcer article where they oh, put yeah. like glasses and a mustache on me. Like that's a new <laughs> thing on the MinMax Discord. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Uh, okay, Kelsey, uh, you ready to get to all these community questions? I'm ready. Okay, great. Here we go. Uh, Jared R. Meyer writes in and says, hey, cohorts and contributors, uh, the games journalism slash influencer industry seems pretty cozy. That's interesting. With lots of crossovers across various shows and mediums. Insert request for another triple click crossover here. Hey, we're down to do it whenever. Um, actually, I just reached out to him not too long ago, so we'll see. Um, however, I doubt it's possible you all have met everybody else in your industry. So who is somebody in your industry whom you don't already know personally that you'd like to get to know? Somebody you've admired from afar and would love to get lunch with, pick the brain, share stories with. Uh, Kyle, is there anybody for you? I don't know. I'm, I'm like, now I'm sort of wrapping my brain because I think I, when you offered up this question, I was like, yeah, thumbs up. And I'm like, who is I? <laughs> and that's not to say I know everybody or anything. There's a ton of people I, I don't, I don't know. But um, gosh, I'm sorry. No one's coming. Uh, to, to straight to the top of my head. You're just that cool? You already know everybody? I'm that cool. Well, I, I'm that cool. I do feel like the way in which, the specific way in which everyone in this industry knows each other is we all follow each other on Twitter. Mm, yeah. Right. Like, we're not necessarily all friends, but uh, there's like that weird, I don't, I don't know what level of knowing someone that is where it's like you've comment on things from each other like, sometimes it, but like you've never had dinner with them right like if a, you meet them on per person in person there might be a conversation that's like oh yeah yeah we we've interacted on twitter before it's yeah like, right yeah, like we I, have that i think they'll we'll always have that <laughs> there's people that are like your twitter friends with but there's still a pretty good chance you'd walk right by them on the sidewalk and not even acknowledge it unless like their face was just Literally, they're wearing a mask of their Twitter profile picture. I feel like that's the only way that maybe you could kind of get that across. It is weird. I was thinking about GDC. Um, and I was thinking about like, I wonder how many people here I've like listened to on a podcast and just have no idea what they look like. Like I've heard so many <laughs> developer interviews on podcasts and stuff. And it's like, it's all just in one ear, out the other. But if I could track it, I bet it'd be a shocking degree of people in this building right now I've listened to in a podcast at some point. Uh, for me, yeah. everyone on YouTube is my uh, co-worker and in my sphere. So, you Ooh. know, like uh, Logan Paul, Jenna Marbles, Smart, uh, Mr. Absolutely, Beast. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, <laughs> your peers. I, I actually, the, your BFFs. <laughs> no, that they're going to be. Um, <laughs> the person that came to mind, I think here is the thing that we all envy. Uh, being able to not be in these circles to just like make content and then like exist 
kind of outside the internet mm. or whatever. And and for me and my you know specific interests, that's this guy named Noah Caldwell Gervais who makes uh, YouTube like essays like me, but like is not really in the kind of games discourse sphere. Like I'm pretty sure he's going to school for like auto repair. Like just seems <laughs> like. It's like like a cool, uh, normal person who just happens to write about video games and not like one of us who are all like mind melded with the Twitter games discourse. Um, Yeah. And so uh, he like I don't feel like I know him very well, even though we do technically follow each other on Twitter. But like I would love to get dinner with that guy. Yeah, that's a special breed of cat who can be big online, but then also is like, ah, and then I have no interest in following the ebbs and flows of whatever online world is saying. Like right. I, mean, I was thinking, Kelsey, I think a while ago we were talking about trivia tower, I think and different guests for trivia tower. And you said like, Oh, I could connect you with like some big YouTubers that I know. And it's one of those weird things like, yeah, maybe this is just from my own very limited perspective, but it feels like, is there kind of like the gaming press circle on Twitter and then like the big YouTuber circle and those aren't quite fully overlapped yet? Like two different oh, yeah. cultures. Yeah, and, and I think, Jacob, you can probably relate to this. It's like, as someone who maybe straddles both spheres a little bit, mm-hmm. it's like, those are those are separate universes. Like, I, I was just at a, um, a charity stream this weekend, which was awesome, and it was like, it was all YouTube people, you know? And, like, it wasn't, there wasn't a single, like, games press person that I was friends with. So it was like, a, not that it's, like, insular or anything, it's just, like, yeah. those people know those people, and these people know these people. And sometimes you have some people who are kind of in the middle and know some from each side. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I feel mean, like they're two kind of separate things. It's really weird. Yeah, I feel like I'm almost a pretender in that I know way more games journalist people than I do YouTubers. Uh, and like people will bring up like, oh, well, you must know this person on YouTube. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure they're nice. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Well, I've never been a games journalist, but I feel like I'm right. still in that. I mean, unless you count going on podcasts, you know, sometimes yeah, I mean, people or, or having a podcast, but like it's it's not, I, I'm not, I've never written for a magazine or a website or anything, yet I'm fairly, you know, I know a lot of people in that sphere, I guess. Um, there's this thing called VidCon, which is like the YouTuber convention in la and like i know people who are going there and it's like if i went i everyone would be a mystery right. you know like <laughs> i i wouldn't know anyone there yeah i'm really done with that stuff even like i was at leo's place just like last month or so and he made some joke about mr beast and i was like who is this is it mr beast like that's the dumbest name I've ever heard. I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, there's no way you've never seen a Mr. Beast video on YouTube. I'm like, absolutely not. And then we pull it up and just watch Mr. Beast videos for like half an hour. And it's like, this is a bizarre world. And I guess I'm fortunate that I wasn't that plugged in. But yeah, it's probably, that's probably just being too naive. It's nice to see. Yeah. Who's actually being successful on YouTube? What do they look like? How can we the be like them? The secret is to just give away vast quantities of money apparently is that what it is interesting that's a, that's what mr beast does kelsey what's the story of your youtube channel is that how you kind of blew up in a way was building up your successful youtube channel yeah kind of i mean i i was someone who wanted to share the research i was doing and um like 
blogs and articles and print media and all that stuff seemed like a thing where it was it's a lot harder to just stake your ground in those areas yeah. and i you know i thought people would uh resonate well with video i'm not i'm actually not i don't even really like making videos like i don't enjoy the process of editing or anything like that i just like the um I essentially like the part where I write an article, you know, the research and then like writing the script. And then everything after that is like, I'm doing this because I think this will work better. Right. And it did. <laughs> That's interesting. What, um, why did you slow down with your channel? Uh, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And I, I started running a foundation in addition to running a couple of stores. And it just, uh, it, it's funny though, because it did, it came up several times during GDC where I was like maybe I should be doing this again like there are people who know me from that and that might be like a nice thing to have and also like a good outlet for myself because I don't really get to do that kind of work very much anymore yeah which kind of work just the research and kind of yeah deep dive type stuff yeah exactly huh well you're welcome to do it with min max if you ever want to you're welcome to <laughs> yell into a mic about whatever <laughs> the hell you want um but yeah Jared's you gonna edit it for me uh, yeah, it's not that simple. I could do that. Yeah, I'm okay. fast enough. I could take care of it. Um, I, I don't think any of us actually answered the question. Yeah, so I know. the question. Um, so I'll, I'll throw out an answer. Please. Um, Alana Pierce. I've never yes. met her mm. and she's fantastic and, uh, I admire her a lot. And, um, I think she's like a year older than me, which makes me feel terrible about myself all the time. I'm like, I'm never going to be that successful. But, um, <laughs> you, you but, said, you said, two minutes ago that you were managing several stores and, <laughs> and also the co-director of the video game like, like, you're doing my fine. house like <laughs> the, the internet has a funny way of warping uh you know your your yeah. view of how you're doing in life totally <laughs> it's like, but there's someone doing it better um yeah, yeah I, th I think she's very inspiring and cool and interesting. So yeah, I, think I would she, like to meet her someday. I think she's certainly up there for like most impressive people in the industry, especially the part that blows my mind is Play, Watch, Listen, I think is my favorite gaming podcast these days. And the fact that she does that and then she's also working at Santa Monica with Sony, like having a PlayStation employee being out there and being that open and honest is like unprecedented. The fact that she has that much power and sway to be able to pull that off contractually, however the hell that happened, is just like all hail the queen. That is incredible. And the little bit I've talked to her, it's just like, oh, she seems very cool. There's, I don't know if it's like an Australian thing. Remember like it was E3 years and years ago talking around a roof for a while and it was immediately it was like, well, this is the most down to earth person I've ever talked to in my life. Like this is amazing. And there's, there's some... Uh, there's some part of my French, some Australian je ne sais quoi, as people say, where it's just everyone just seems cool and down to earth. I don't know. Um, yeah, for my answer for Jared's question here, um, it's a weird one, but the the Area 5 folks, the video production team, who were the old One Up Show production team, like huge inspirations for me, huge idols. Um, I devoured all of their videos back at One Up, and I've never really crossed paths with any of them. Which you missed them by like three hours at GDC. They were in the Video Game History Foundation office. Are you serious? <laughs> I didn't know. I would have told you. What the <laughs> hell? Oh my God. Were they filming stuff? Yes. Not for us though. Oh, interesting. For, uh, yeah. For, um, well, I, I have you no probably. idea how much I'm yeah, allowed to say. Don't so. say it. That's fine. Yeah. They were they're, in probably looking to, they're probably looking to interview people who are very inspired Right, right. <laughs> yeah, no, at some point I'd love to podcast with like Matt Shandernay or something. It'd be fun. But um, let's see. Chris Logan 
writes in and says, hello, Ben and the Horts. Uh, is there a lie you told as a kid that was mostly harmless, yet you still feel bad about it? Hmm. This might be a running theme for this episode. So I have, uh, this isn't like video game related, but it's one I think about a lot. I don't feel bad about it, but I think it's really funny that uh, as a kid, I thought I could get away with this. Where like, you know, I was really young. I had probably only had one sleepover at a friend's house who like lived up the street. But every time my mom cooked a meal or some kind of food that I didn't want to try, I adamantly tried to convince her that the one night I had not been home that I spent at my friend's house, we had tried that meal and I didn't like it. So I didn't need to try it again. And like after <laughs> like a year or two, like it sounded like we had eaten like a 12 course dinner during this like sleepover <laughs> with all these different kinds of meals and different things. I, I mean, my mom never bought it for a second, but I was like, no, no, we definitely had this really obscure experimental food that you're trying to uh, see if I like at my friend's house a couple months ago. We definitely did. I would love to go back and see what that experimental food was. She's probably just like, I don't know, try cauliflower you idiot and you're like no yes. no no, i can't i can't trust me i can't <laughs> i tried and i hated it it made me throw up <laughs> made me throw i up. didn't call you that when i was throwing up to come home but i threw up i throw up all the time when i'm over at friends house it's, yeah they can't get enough of me they love my company <laughs> i have a stupid one and it wasn't a lie because i believed it because i'm an idiot smart uh so it was a fundamental misunderstanding of i don't know how the world works um my uncle is very good at drawing, and uh, he drew a picture of Hamtaro when, like, Hamtaro was kind of... I, I think it was actually a little before it was hitting the States, because uh, I was living in a town with a very high Japanese population, so it was, like, kind of preview of this new thing that was going to be really cool, Hamtaro. Huh. My uncle drew a picture of it, and for some reason the wires connected in my brain that like he was an animator on the show because he could draw it really well. So I started okay, yeah. telling people that my uncle was an animator for Hamtaro because he can clearly draw it really well. So that must mean that's his job. I don't know. But everyone in my class believed me and um, I you know, haven't gone back and corrected that. So as far as anyone knows. I, I bet like it still comes up in some people's lives. Like that's that's a big deal. You got like that ounce of talent or like some connection to some big thing. Like I remember I thought it was the coolest thing in the world that in my small town in Minnesota, a friend of mine, their uncle animated on the old show called Roly Polioli. Do you remember this or guy? He, or they just said that because he could draw it really well. Yeah, that probably know. is what it was. Yeah, but that's <laughs> enough to be like, oh my God, celebrity in our midst. Look at this. That's it. Just you got to lie just a little bit as a kid. You can really bump up your social game in a big way. Uh, Donnie writes in um, and says, Hey, friends, and welcome contributors. Is it too soon to fantasize about what Elden Ring DLC could look like? Um, no, not too soon. I mean, I don't want it right now, but you can fantasize. Um, and then yeah, Is I it mean, going they're... to be DLC? Uh, I think they implied something, didn't they? In a yeah, post I mean, there almost always is, I guess, except for Sekiro. And even Sekiro, there was like some downloadable stuff. Um, there's a place on the map where people think it's going to be. Um, right. Because the, the map is kind of shaped like a like a moon or something, and there's a place in the middle of the ocean that has a bunch of clouds over it, and so people think that that's what it is. Interesting. Um, I think the hardest thing about them, or about it, is Elden Ring is so much bigger than every other game that they've made that if they released a DLC the size of, like, 
what they did for, you know, Bloodborne or whatever, it would feel tiny just because Elden Ring is like five times the size of Bloodborne. Um, and so I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I really hope that they do make DLC, but also it's like, are they scaling that up to the same extent that they scaled up everything else about the game? Yeah, yeah. But then Donnie asks, is DLC ever something you get excited for as much as the main game? Yeah. Never. No, not never? once in my entire as much life. As a main game? What about, what, okay, what, this made me think about uh, Assassin's Creed Discovery Tours. I'm much more interested in playing those weird Discovery Tours educational versions of the game than I am about ever really, what, finishing Assassin's Creed Odyssey? Please. But wandering around ancient Greece and learning about stuff? That seems great. So that's what? it. Yeah, but I've, I wouldn't have picked up that game in the first place. Yeah. So I, 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 un, I agree that I am more excited about that than the regular Assassin's Creed, but I don't, I don't think I've ever been more excited for a DLC than for the actual game. Uh, back when I was a big uh, The Binding of Isaac player, yeah. there were several DLCs that kind of, like several times over, have added as much content as was in the game again. You know, like it would just it would just be like, here are 150 new items. And like, since that game is all built on just like finding new items and whatever, I was really, really psyched when that stuff came out and they've continued to do it. And I haven't touched it in like four years, but like it, it was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, one I was going to quickly mention was like weirdly the Castlevania Lords of Shadow DLC. I was like really excited for because that game I was excited for it to come out and then I played it and I I really was like turned off by the first two levels to the point where I put it down for a few months and then I picked it back up and like absolutely fell head over heels in love with it and like just adored it and then the ending is really cool and the ending is like this this huge big twist that really left it open for like oh my god where does this thing go next and so i was like soup i was like more excited for the dlc in that instance uh only because i had enjoyed the game leading up to it so much but then did the dlc touch on the modern day dracula really. stuff and whatnot yeah not not really not yeah. it was just kind of like um it sort of went like you know right before the ending and added a couple more levels and it was good and i liked it but it was right. it didn't it didn't extend it didn't like pick up where the twist really let you hanging yeah left you hanging and then Lords of the Shadow 2 came out and picked it up, and it was kind of like, oh, okay, I guess I didn't actually want that. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out, yeah, I want a good game, not just a good story concept. Um, yeah. Hey, Kelsey, before I forget, did, did I already talk to you about this? Have you ever played those Alpha Dream Hamtaro games? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ham Ham Heartbreak was, like, <laughs> one, of my, one of my go-tos on the Game Boy Advance. Are they as good as I thought? Because I really took a deep dive into Alpha Dream recently, and like the reviews are surprisingly strong for these Hamtaro games. They're great. Really? They are like just so. I mean, I had no idea as a kid, like that it was going to be a game I cared about. I just liked Hamtaro, and I was like, "Yeah, I'll pick up the Hamtaro game." Like licensed right. property, I enjoy. Um, yeah, played the heck out of that game. It's super good. Is it an RPG? Yeah, it's like, um, oh gosh. It's not, it doesn't have, like, battles. It's like an adventure game with puzzle solving. I guess there's sort of, there's, there's not really, there's not real battles. It's okay. like, um, it's a lot of, like, puzzle solving, but not, like, um, oh, what, what's the, what, 
there's a really easy way to describe this that I'm just totally whiffing on right now. But it's just kind of like adventure just, puzzles and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I mean, it's just it's an adventure game. And huh. uh, you'll like get new abilities that allow you to solve new puzzles and, and that sort of thing. Uh, this might be naive. What is the deal with Hamtaro? It's just cute hamsters. Are they in balls yeah. rolling you around? Got it. That, okay. No, they're not in balls. Oh, you okay. got it. Just and cute hamsters. You got it. Cute Japanese hamsters. It's like okay, Secret cool. Life of Pets, right? I'm I'm sure you're a huge fan of that movie. It's yeah. like you get to see the hamsters' life outside of you know them being hamsters. The All child right. walks away, and then they go on adventures, and Smart. they gotta make right. They gotta make it back to their cage by the end of the day or something. Yeah, there's. I mean, and there's just a ton of different hamster characters, and they all got their own kind of like storylines and stuff going on there's like a love triangle between <laughs> some hamsters yeah it's you know they eat For their me, young Hamtaro was the first place where i saw like a cartoonishly large bead of sweat when someone was stressed <laughs> like that's the first tv show where it's like oh i see what they're doing <laughs> it's a strange sweat. thing to remember <laughs> it was, i mean it was probably the first like anime adjacent show that i saw you yeah. know that it was oh, like it all anime. american tv and then this was there on like you know cw mornings as well for some reason that is yeah it's anime like and i had this realization actually as i was watching uh Gretzico on uh netflix and they're like you know genre thing under it is anime and i was like yeah i guess it is <laughs> like i wouldn't i wouldn't classify it as that in my head but like that flipped a switch and i was like oh yeah and also hamtaro is anime like it's just it's an anime but it's hamsters yeah i'm trying to think of like the first piece of anime content that i absorbed and this is really dumb but i remember a friend of mine had like a huge collection of playstation one games that his uncle pirated from thailand it was a long story but i remember flipping through all of those and one of them really caught my eye i'm like what is this look for the character it's so weird and it was the box art for Mega Man legends and i think even like just the anime eyes, I think, on Mega Man Volnut's face. I was like, oh, there's something so different about that. It really stuck with me. But I think that might be like the first thing. I don't know, Kyle. I assume you're watching Ghibli movies at age five or some nonsense. No, this is a good question. But I, I mean, it might have been Dragon Ball, like its first run on Fox. I caught a single episode and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And the thing that really caught my attention, I was like, this story does not seem like it's wrapping up. Oh, right. 30 minutes. Right. Surely it does not pick up where it leaves off next week. And that and that was like the only one I saw. And then years <laughs> and that always stuck in my head. I yeah. was like, oh, that's that interesting show that actually had a continuous story that I saw that one. Episode <laughs> the one of. thing I want in all of my entertainment. It totally. Yeah. And then Dragon Ball Z appeared many years later. And I was like, oh, my God, this is a continuation of that thing. That one episode. He grew up. That's how long the story's <laughs> been going. He's an adult now. It totally it was like it was a revelation for me. It was huge. That's amazing. Uh, Jared Pierce writes in and says, Hello, Min Max. As a kid, did you ever create extra challenges for yourself in games that you had beaten but didn't want to stop playing? For example, in Banjo-Tooie, I used to try to get from one end of a level to another without alerting any enemies. <laughs> yep, stealth right. game. That's my favorite, Banjo-Tooie. Um, I don't know, does anybody else think of one? I, I do this now um, in Pokemon games. I try to beat every Pokemon game with only one type. Uh, which I think we t we talked about on the deepest dive. I try yeah. to have like an all bird team, and it's it's very difficult because it's not They're like not a all good. Birds. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not a good type. So like flying types are weak to a lot of very common stuff that pops up. Yeah. But, uh, oh my god, you're getting one shot at all the time. I'd imagine. Uh yeah, I mean there's you know there's some that aren't flying type right. Like you've got like 
Like, Psyduck and Golduck and that sort of thing. Oh, like, where it's sure. just a water type, but it's a bird. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, so I, I like to make challenges for myself like that when a game is otherwise pretty easy. Yeah, that's good. It's uh, funny what the question says, like, after you beat a game, because for me, all the memories are like, like, as a kid, beating a game was almost a, like, foreign concept. Like, I, yeah. I kind of didn't even conceptualize that it would, like, have an ending. And so it was like, you know, it's like, well, I'm just, you know, I really like that first star in Super Mario 64. So, like, I'm just going to keep doing that. Like, that's my challenge. Or, like, like, I'm just running around fighting things in Hyrule Field. And, like, yes. that is the game. And totally. it doesn't even really occur to me that there's, like a bunch of other stuff outside that. So it was like I had these goals instead of beating the game because that seemed like such an insurmountable task. Yeah, why would I want to do that? I stop playing the game? No, that's so <laughs> lame. Uh, Dunder writes in and says, Hey, cohorts and contributors, uh, what's one of those games from your childhood that you're obligated to play because you just didn't have many other games to choose from? Mine was Back to the Future for the NES. I knew it was bad when I was playing it, and I just recently learned that Bob Gale, co-creator of Back to the Future, said the game Sucked Eggs was one of the worst games ever and told fans not to buy it because he was so ashamed of how bad it was. My God, Bob Gale. Gale. Really wow. Caring about the video game adaptation. <laughs> uh, I mean, my, mine was Clay Fighter. I played more Clay Fighter than Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat wow. growing up. And... Uh, and I think it's why I still struggle with fighting games today is because my introduction was like, in retrospect, a crappy one. But I was like, oh, no, this is cool. I'm pressing Y and they're punching. Is that the one that has a character named Blue Suede Goo? Yeah, the Elvis impersonation. <laughs> okay, Goo. that's pretty good. And it was good. Tiny the Bodybuilder. <laughs> Boogerman was an N64 one. Wait, There's really? A clown. There's a guy made of taffy. Huh, that seems okay. Jacob Gillard, by the way, I wanted to say this, then I caught myself because I realized that's what your life is. How much of your life is people saying, you should make a video essay about this? Yeah, like uh, <laughs> a lot. I mean, I, we talked about it in the intro to this, that if I haven't, it's more that if I haven't made an essay on something, people assume that I have not played nor heard right. of a game. Right, and right, so right. it's just like, you got to I mean, now I finally made a video about Soma so I can stop getting the like three daily messages that are like, you should play Soma. <laughs> By the way, I kind of want to do the deepest dive on so much important because I've never, I've never it's, done it. It's the best sci-fi story of the 21st century. Uh, yeah, but other than that. Okay, sorry. Uh, Dunder's question. Yeah, the childhood games. Um, I mean, to think of a... Kelsey, please, I'm counting on you, but I'm not going to make eye contact with you just in case you don't know it as the historian. Uh, Boulder Dash? Does anybody know Boulder Dash? Yeah. Okay, thank you, Kelsey. Thank you. But like back on my Apple II is one of those games that I... I projected so much onto that game because it's like the only game that's like, oh, it kind of feels like an adventure. I'm like roaming around, but really you're just kind of like digging around underground and I cannot even tell you the goal. You'd go below a boulder and it would like drop down. Other than that, I don't know. It was just like a cool play space to try and wrap my brain around as a kid. Um, And I recently was looking it up and it has this weird history where I think it's a German developer and the original developer is still... I think has the rights or they're still releasing new Boulder Dash games. Like they released one on Steam just not that long ago, like a big anniversary edition. And it like, I think it has like zero reviews on Steam. Just nobody cared. And it broke my heart. And I tried to reach out to the developer to talk about the long history of Boulder Dash, but never heard back. I think that's, I think that's right. Uh, I feel like no one, no one has the, they just still have the rights to that? Yeah, BBG wow. Entertainment 
GmbH oh, that's cool. is the publisher for this weirdo thing. And yeah, it released in 2021 and has five user reviews for Boulder Dash Deluxe. Uh, <laughs> at if, some point, if I want to stream was it. on the podcast, I feel like he would be able to back me up more than I don't know if any of y'all will. But for me, it was just like terrible Flash games. Yeah. Uh, which were yes. like there were kind of infinite games, but like most of them were bad and I didn't know what a bad game was. And so right. like. It would just be like, well, this game says that it's Mario, so I guess I'll play it. And then it was like someone trying to like terribly recreate Mario and Flash or whatever. And I was like, right. well, everyone says Mario's good, so like I guess I should just play this game. Totally. And even I mean, that's just that's where the like where the free games come from, right? It's like you just when you're done with the games that the four games you're allowed to have at home or whatever, it's like guess I'll go on Newgrounds and 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 play, play. the the most explicit inappropriate thing you could possibly imagine. It was <laughs> yeah. like I'm only allowed to have an e game at home, but then I'm gonna go online and play just like a monster. <laughs> Yeah, I think even like before the Flash era, that was such a huge part of the early internet for me, which was like fourth grade is my like moment of like, okay, the internet is here. Try and wrap your mind around it. And it was just so much about going to like freegames.com and just downloading these bizarre things. And there were some gems in there like Lero. I don't know if you know Lero, but that was a, that was a big one for me or like Kung Fu Kim. It's like just these weird games that would also just destroy your computer with malware. And oh my God, it was a complete <laughs> disaster. But that was that was the kind of the fun Wild West. It was interesting to me, like playing real games from, you know, like the early 2000s or whatever, and realizing that I had played Flash games that were clearly kind of parodies or like had right. taken inspiration from them but it was yep. like it was like seeing a movie parody on the simpsons first and then seeing the movie and being like oh that's where that's from like yeah. this game was like trying to be eco but like in 2d with no <laughs> graphics that's amazing yeah honestly it was like i feel like i was an adult before i realized that wait there's this movie called cape fear and it just rips off the entire sideshow bob storyline <laughs> like what is this thing uh i don't know Kelsey, one jump out for you those old bad childhood games, just Flash stuff? Yeah, lots of Flash stuff. I don't, I was pretty selective with what I got as a kid because, wow. you know, you just don't get that many. Like, I rented a ton of bad games, but, you know, when, when it was time to, like, okay, you get a video game for your birthday uh, or, you know, for Christmas or whatever, it's like, okay, I gotta make sure this one counts. Like, this yes. has gotta be a good game. Someone at my school's played it. They said it's good. Okay, all right. I will. Like I, I was careful about that. Right, Hamtaro, it is. Load me up. Give Ham me Taro. every one of these weird <laughs> alpha free games. Alpha dream games. Uh, and it's our attack. Corgi writes in and says, "Hello, Min Max crew. Uh, let's play a would you rather rating game. You will choose which you'd prefer to play." Okay. Well, he he overexplains it, but let me get to it. I think it's an interesting hypothetical. So let's say you can. Hmm. Yeah, maybe you can only play one or the other. So would you rather play the Saints Row reboot if it got a 10 out of 10 or Breath of the Wild 2 if it scored a 5 out of 10? Interesting. This is very what, good. What did the original Saints Row's score? Because like, I feel like we're scaling it to yeah, you know, 10 out of 10. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, my okay. I, I just... I have to play Zelda just to... Yeah, be it like, would be... I mean, it's like... Oh. 
think about a, a five yeah. out of ten Zelda has like never existed like that on yeah, its, it's own would be kind of fascinating. Yeah, I mean, Plus, I, you know, I got to see how it fits in with the rest of the series. Like, it's like the the sort of historical relevance of playing a, even a bad Zelda is more important to me than playing a good Saints Row. But think of I think the historical relevance of playing a bad Zelda period is. Like, just by virtue of being a bad Zelda, like, that is a historical event. You're right. This is a, this is a group of people that haven't played Triforce Heroes, is what I'm hearing. Wow. I have played Triforce Heroes, okay. and I had two friends to play it with, so it was, Which, like, I, by okay. the way, a fine game. It's not it not actively okay. bad. It's fine. I also don't consider it a real Zelda game. Like, yeah? It's clearly spin-off to me, but maybe that's oh, not yeah, true. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's like just a... me projecting, like, it's mediocre, therefore it doesn't count. Right, but it's so confusing. It's <laughs> as much as Four Swords, I guess. Yeah, did you ever finish Triforce Heroes, Kyle? Yeah, I reviewed it. Oh, God, I forgot about that. I remember playing it with you on a plane, I think, mm-hmm. and, and having, like, an hour play session, and I'm ready to defend that game for the rest of my life. But, like, I don't know. It was a funny time with Kyle and Ben Reeves and I on a plane. We laughed. Communication system, you know? Yeah. I don't know what else you need. I remember something about like a cheerleading emote that Ben Reeves just kept spamming everywhere as he kept messing up every puzzle. <laughs> it's like, all right, this is making me laugh enough. This game's great. The, the concept of a 10 out of 10 Saints Row remake mm-hmm. is like breaking my brain. <laughs> like, I, like I, I can't even imagine how that's, that would be possible. That's the thing. That's why I think I might want to go Saints Row because I feel like it would have to dig so hard out of the hole that we'd all imagine of like, yeah, well, that's like going to be a solid 8 out of 10. 10 out of 10 open world game, I guess, other than Elden Ring. But it's like, this would be like Red Dead Redemption 2, but somehow in the Saints Row right. universe. Somehow better. Hey, anything's possible. Okay, here's, here's one that's a little less spicy. Um, let's say Kyle. 10 out of 10 Gotham Knights or a 7.5 out of 10 for Bayonetta 3. Oh, Gotham. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Jacob yeah sorry, Geller. I'm not a big Bayonetta guy. Yeah, so I should Bayonetta. Bayonetta. Mm-hmm. Are you a big Bayonetta fan? I just I just really like those games and I like like I like platinum action. That's it. It's, yeah, I yeah. mean I <laughs> I am we're talking I am Babylon's a huge platinum fall guy as well. Um But I I'm really skeptical of Arkham Knights, and so if it was great, like I would be really excited to play that but like yeah there's no universe where i like can't play bayonetta 3 right, right. <laughs> even even if it sucked i'm there day one sometimes you know i wake up early in the morning and just go and look at myself in the mirror and i really wonder if something's wrong with me for i i finished bayonetta 2 and i have zero fond feelings about that experience and every every time anybody talks about bayonetta 2 it's like the second coming of christ and it's like i guess it's just super not my genre but i i feel like i maybe need to go back and reevaluate that thing the first coming of Christ was Bayonetta 1. That's right. Uh, for that's the right. record. That's right. Um, yep. BC. Um, okay. Kelsey, a 10 out of 10 Sonic Frontiers or a 5 out of 10 Starfield? One. That one. <laughs> I didn't even need to hear the other a, one. How is that a question? 10 out of Wait, 10. Wait, what's, what's the 5 Sonic out of 10? 5 out of 10 Starfield. I wouldn't. Pl- I don't think I'd even play it like 7 out of 10. <laughs> oh, like, damn. I... No, it t- a ten out of ten right. Sonic game. Are you're you right. kidding me? You're right. You you could even back that. So you, crazy. <laughs> like <laughs> I would be. You so could back that up and just that. not even have the score. Just say a good son, a good contemporary Sonic game. Yes. <laughs> right. Three D. I would have taken that at like nine, at like an eight okay. or nine out of ten. All right. All right. All right. I'd be like, oh my god, here we go. Can you imagine? Yeah, just, the internet would melt down if it was just like. 
IGN, GameSpot, 10 out of 10 for Sonic Frontiers. Just everybody was unanimous. This is it, everybody. Manifesting this into existence because <laughs> I want this reality so bad. Uh, all right, Jacob Geller, um, would you rather play a 3 out of 10 Avatar Spirits of Pandora or a 1 out of 10 Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed? <laughs> now, is this just telling the future i guess the ghostbusters game is already out right no it's not already out i think that looks solid Elphonics game uh, i'm excited the the avatar game okay. i mean i have i like i almost actively dislike ghostbusters as a property and so like even if it was like a six out of ten ghostbusters versus a three out of ten avatar i think i would still rather play the avatar okay all right I, what I even gets a one out of ten. I feel like you have to not even function as a video yeah. game to be a one out of ten. Well, I remember at Game Informer, it was um, on the Connect Hulk Hogan's main event. I think Dan Riker gave that a one out of ten, just for some framework, yeah. and it was literally like him flailing in front of the Connect, and it's just Hulk going, "Press the start button, brother," or whatever the hell's going. On. I guess it doesn't apply. Well, yeah, the great. Thing I'll always love about that because Game Informer has bullets, right? Graphics, right. sound, blah blah. And for entertainment, he just wrote "na," which I just <laughs> <laughs> so good. Dan Reichert's funny. It turns out. Yeah, you hate to admit it. Um, Reed Harry writes in and says, "I decided a month ago to pick up Inscription because it sounded like it checked all the boxes for me. Indie, roguelike, experimental, card game, critically lauded. Played it for about thirty minutes and bounced off super hard. I still haven't returned to it. I feel almost embarrassed for not instantly loving it. Has this ever happened to y'all? You find a game that seems right up your alley, but you just don't click with it. To, to a to a lesser degree, Tunic for me recently. Yeah, Tunic felt like a game I should have been head over heels for, and I was just like, yeah, it's cool." It's kind of like my big, my, my big take is like eight out of ten. Do you think that's <laughs> you one know? that you could go back to at the end of the year and appreciate in a whole new way? I just feel like I need to reset your brain and get you to try that again, Kyle, because it does not compute. Maybe. I mean, because my big problem with it was I was constantly lost, right? So like maybe right. replaying it and having a good idea of where to go, and Ooh. then being excited about having to do getting to do all the post game stuff. Because apparently the post game stuff is where it gets really fuzzy and puzzly mm-hmm. and like like really opaque and difficult and like i've seen a lot of people being like i could not do it without a walkthrough and that's kind of interesting to me yeah maybe i'll revisit it again and go check out that stuff but yeah i mean and and not a bad game like definitely not saying it's a bad game but like it just it it just it seemed like one that i should have been way more in love with than i was right um yeah kingdom hearts is up there for me for like hey you love disney you love final fantasy yeah but just not that um but at some point, I'll try going back or something. I don't know. I've bounced off of every Ease game that I've ever tried, huh. which is weird because I, I would not classify any of those experiences as like negative at all. I just have never gotten more than like eight hours into one. And even then, I think that only happened once. And it's like action JRPG that is critically acclaimed. And I just bounce off it every time i don't know that's bizarre and you've gone back to the bat every time east one east two east three just going through the entire series trying to make <laughs> no it i mean i think i've probably tried like uh, four or five of them right total right. maybe that's, but that's uh, impressive um i i have it's not so much bounced off as just like it's never held my interest but uh the delta rune uh couple chapters that yeah, are out i mean interesting. like like, my dog is named Toriel after the character from Undertale. Like, okay, it was like, I was a big, big Undertale fan. And maybe it's just that, like, 
that game hits better when you're a kind of 21 year old and not like a I, I don't know. I mean, it's like I don't feel like I'm in that different of a place, but like for some reason, the kind of like Undertale style writing does not super connect with me the way that it uh, used to. Right, right. Uh, Ricky Winterborn writes in, I love the super secret GDC talk podcast. Thank you. Um, especially the star Wars hotel bit. Um, are y'all excited by the idea of these proto Westworld type experiences? If you're not familiar, uh, the star Wars galactic star cruisers, that what it's called where you spend, I think it's like $7,000 or something. And you go live in a star Wars world for a couple nights. And it's like a all encompassing experience. There's a storyline running throughout it. Leo and I kind of break it down based on that GDC talk and that podcast. Um, but yeah, are y'all, are y'all interested in these proto Westworld type experiences? It sounds like it's awesome so far, but I assume everyone going at this point are Star Wars mega fans and influencers. I'm very curious how it holds up once more normies get in there and start straining the facade. That is exactly what I want to know. I want to know how far I can push it. And can you get an actor to crack under any situation? Like, I I bet that, they're real pros, but that's what I would be interested also, in. There, if, go ahead, Jay. Go ahead, please. Yeah. Oh. Um, well, there have been early reports of uh, it's like I've seen people tweeting about going to that Star Wars experience thing. It seems like that chart is way more aggressive in its gameplay design than what the experience actually feels like. Oh, really? Like, it's it's they have reported like it seems like we're kind of just doing things. And then whether we did it or not, something else happens. Oh, oh so it's just not like this fully that. immersive not, thing. It's not related to the question, but I, I just, I have been thinking about that chart a lot because it's like, boy, they have grand designs. I don't know. Yeah, we talked about it on the podcast, but I think that one of the things that bummed me out about it is like, it sounds so cool and like having these actors and, you know, just the design of it. I think it's so awesome to have like, hey, we have actors, but we need to somehow schedule time for them to go sleep and for them to go eat because they're with you for several days. It's like a performance that lasts for two and a half days. It's such a fascinating concept. And so then when the actor isn't there, then they talk to you through an app. <laughs> and so all your decisions are through the app, which is the thing that kind of bums me out. Like, I think it'd be fun to be able to like go up and like whisper to the, you know, the rebellion and be like, I'm with you guys. And like, that does not matter at all for the star Wars hotel thing. It's all yeah, just and, selecting yes. Or and no the, like app. people said like they got a message on the app while the actor was like standing next to them. <laughs> oh, like, that from sucks. That, person. that sucks. Was their hand in their pocket, at least departed style <laughs> trying to text them secret stuff from the first order. But I'm um, into it. I it, love immersive theater. I think this is a cool immersive version of it. Uh, the I idea like of like having there's... to interact with actors, like just or people being in character. It, it just seems exhausting to me. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah, because it's like it's like it. you also have to be performing yeah, for two I don't and a half days. It's like that. it's like if someone asked me, "Do you want to be in a Star Wars themed improv scene for three days?" I would <laughs> say no. What are you uptight? <laughs> I think it's cool that like I don't know. It's there is a huge industry for absolute nerds now. Like <laughs> yes, sure, yeah. yes that that. You can pay $7,000 to LARP and there's an industry for that and people aren't like supremely embarrassed by that. I think is like just a win for culture in general. It's like, <laughs> not that Star Wars is culture, but more just like, hey, no, it like, it, it's okay to just like, like dumb nerdy things and, you know, want to have fun in, in ways that aren't like. You don't have to be like, all I do is read books and totally. uh, watch sports or whatever. Like you can have nerd hobbies and uh there's like a a 
rich person market for nerd hobbies even you know yeah and and hopefully it, it opens up some yeah that's that's good for society <laughs> well, rich okay. people can give disney seven thousand dollars. <laughs> no but maybe there's something for like i like that idea of maybe it would inspire people to kind of make their own or just like yeah maybe i should get into like star wars larping with my friends for free you yes know? that's what i'm getting at it's yeah. like it's not as embarrassing to like nerdy things and to yes. explore nerdy things. And I, I mean, at this point, I don't even consider Star Wars to be nerdy. It's like the I mean, most mainstream yeah, thing in the world. But like, that's interesting. Yeah. It, baby steps, right? Like, that's that's a good place to start. It's like, if you don't think sci-fi is nerdy anymore, then maybe we can start. Everyone can start being comfortable being themselves and, and liking what they want to like. Yeah. Yeah, I think I have I have discomfort specifically related to the ip like i would love to spend 50 dollars to go to like a community theater that is doing something like this that's not star wars like that's that's the kind of thing that i would like to do for like an evening right um and and part of it is just the kind of like corporate machinery of it all that turns me off that it just feels kind of insane to spend that much money and this much production on like pretending to be a wizard you know it's like i think larping is cool i i think you know it's just it's just kind of the the cost and the scale of it that kind of weirds me out have you ever been to an immersive theater show no and i would really like to oh my god that seems exactly up your alley i mean there's even been small ones around minneapolis i remember one years ago just like just little moments really stand out. And it's all about just when you feel special in a performance where you go into this big warehouse and you're wandering around and there's actors and you can kind of piece the story together. And I remember at some point, like this actor just like grabbed my hand and then brought me to like a weird secret back area. And like, this is going to sound insane. Shoved me in like a cardboard box. And it was like this cardboard box, like little house that she had built. And then we both just sat in this cardboard box and she like closed the cardboard door and then she lit a candle and like just being cramped in a cardboard box with this actor and she's like whispering her backstory to me. It's like, well, okay, theater is cool. This is incredible. <laughs> I love it. Uh, let's see. Jose Arroyo writes in and says, hello, M&Ms, the loop continuous. You betcha. Um, they say, hey, can we get a returnal Twitch stream with Kyle where he can partner with the community to break the cycle? It is my dream to shoot and dash as Kyle's number two. Maybe. Maybe. Um, hey, you know, <laughs> I hate to do this I wasn't to you. On it. We do have a tier oh. on Patreon where you can play with any cohort for an hour, whatever game you want. So that is it's true. possible. Um, William Hiddle writes in and says, I'm super excited for Chrono Cross this week. Hell yeah. I even found myself drawing a doodle of the map in my downtime at work. I was surprised at how many details I actually remember. What video game map do you think you could best draw from memory right now? It's a great question absolutely dark souls i could i could draw like if if i like close my eyes i could like walk to every place in the dark souls map (laughs) just like in my head that's impressive yeah from software's got to be up there i don't know i mean probably ocarina for me yeah i played that enough i could probably draw that i think i could do the ravine map from perfect dark but that's less interesting like pokemon or something it's like i i don't I don't have a memory for drawing a map, so it needs to be something kind of small and like, I mean, there's, there's a lot of places on a Pokemon map, I guess, but it's a small map. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, the world map is just, I don't know, it's just a bunch of lines. It's like not a very intricately yeah, laid out thing, you know? It's a, a route with some places going up and yeah, down. Yeah. You get the idea. 
Uh, David Dubs writes in and says, I have a question for the new contributor, Jacob Geller. Everyone else, please be quiet. Uh, I'm a big fan of all your videos and was super excited to see uh, you added as a contributor. My question is around your video topics. I watch a lot of your videos before I go to sleep, and this always results in some pretty wild dreams. Your latest video on severed heads resulted in some strange nightmare where all my family had their heads and bodies swapped with different people. Congratulations, Jacob. You did that to him. Um, do you find your darker video topics affecting you in any strange ways? Um, yeah, I, I gave this question a thumbs up because I kind of I, I want to say no, like I'm kind of a normal man. <laughs> like there's there's this thing where you only see one part of a, you know, creator's like oeuvre or whatever, where you're like, that's what they must be like, because that's the public facing uh, side of them that I see. But it's like, no, it's totally possible to kind of be into this stuff without uh having it consume you um <laughs> so i mean i'm sure i've had honestly the most that i've been affected was the the month that i wrote about not understanding hotline miami 2's plot i was like thinking about hotline miami 2 before i went to sleep every night and i felt like that was the kind of consuming my brain but for the most part like now these these dark topics are just kind of like that's that's the nine to five and then i can go to beat fine yeah, I feel like I always hear kind of conflicted versions of this from developers about how much it, how much the tone of a game impacts your day-to-day -day work on that game. You know, the classic thing with Naughty Dog is like, oh, must have been so great to go back to work on the world of Uncharted after finishing The Last of Us and have like this breath of fresh air and positivity and kind of a pulp adventure compared to the dark, somber tones. And it's like, well... I'd imagine just your day-to-day -day work is not that much different. It's just like interacting with code worker or coworkers and getting stressed out about code and, you know, basic stuff like that. Being mad at the engine, you know, I don't know how much of that is the tone is really seeping through there. It's not like you're just watching the cutscenes all day for your job. Yeah, you know? I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you know, Ben, that like the quickest way to take the magic out of anything is just like editing a video about it. Yeah. Because it's like you just have to go over such minute details that like the the idea of the larger whole just disappears you know it's like it it doesn't it does not have the same effect on you making it as it does on the people watching it generally. yeah and it always works in a weird way too like if you're really focusing on an edit sometimes it feels like you're kind of watching that video in super slow motion because you're just going through piece by piece by piece and you've and sometimes uh you just feel so much when you're piecing it together if you really care about it you know it really feels like oh this is so emotional this section here and you go back and watch it in real time and it's like no no one no one feel, feel that but it turns out when you're in there assembling it slowly frame by frame it just feels completely different at times so it's all over the place uh let's see oh no one liked this question but it's worth addressing hopefully uh oh boy rocky rocky 10 test rock 3 t5 yn t5 t of course uh they say hey no, this, the secret of monkey island really wrinkled my brain as a kid considering a new game in the series is on the horizon did you play any of the monkey island games and if so what do you absolutely love about them uh, for me, I love the verbal jousting. Um, yeah, I mean, it, wild news earlier this week that they're making Ron Gilbert, the original creator, is making a new Monkey Island game called Return to Monkey Island. And the art director is like the art director from uh, Tearaway. And somehow uh, Devolver is involved. It's interesting that it's like, okay, Devolver and Lucas and Ron Gilbert are all collaborating on a new Monkey Island game, which... Kelsey, I know that Frank Cifaldi is very into this and it's an important series for the Video Game History Foundation. Um, do you have any sense of like how often Ron Gilbert's talked about 
not wanting to make a new one or has he always wanted to make a new one? Do you have any sense of that? Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we spoke to him for, uh, you can actually watch it on the video game history foundation's YouTube channel, but we did an event with him digging through the source code of the original, uh, couple of monkey islands and kind of talking through his, his process and some of his ideas for the series and everything. And I'm not going to say, so that was two years ago. And, uh, he did say he's been working on this for two years. I'm not going to say that, uh, like, you know, it's because of us or anything, but <laughs> you could you could draw that conclusion that we got him excited about it again. I don't I don't think that's actually true, but like it, I think that um, yeah, I mean he's always had ideas for the series is is my understanding like huh. this entire time. Not that he's been like sitting there just going, if only I could make another Monkey Island the whole time, but like he's he's kept this as. This has taken up space in his brain, I think, uh, basically since then, which is yeah. pretty cool. For sure. Yeah. I think it's probably just, you know, new push for games at Disney was a couple of years ago. John Drake uh, leaving Sony to go over there. And then it's like, okay, Lucas, Disney, what's a cool game we could do? And it's like, well, bring it back. Monkey Island's pretty high up there. And Ron Gilbert says, yes, why not? Um, yeah. I saw it's funny. People were sharing this tweet from Ron Gilbert in 2013 where he said, if I ever get to make another Monkey Island, I'm going to announce it on April 1st. <laughs> it's like, oh, it turns out he was just a couple days off, but very impressive. Oh, Maybe he was pushing for it. Um, yeah, I, uh, I've dabbled a little bit. Like, I love um, Day of the Tentacle and Grim Fandango and, like, some of those old LucasArts games. But Monkey Island, the only game I finished is probably sacrilegious, but it's Escape for Monkey Island. And I played through that on PlayStation 2 and really enjoyed that. Um, but I haven't finished those original games ever. It might be kind of fun to stream some of those at some point. I like them in theory. Uh, let's see. Chris Calkins. Oh boy. This is a can of worms. So here's, <laughs> this is a confusing one. So if you were, well, I'll get to it. I'll stop preambling it. Chris Calkins writes in and says, I know Sarah Pazorski asked, but perhaps you're all willing to hear out my gaming sin. Okay, we got a lot of people writing in with their gaming sins, which we also covered. Uh, we created a new show, Plus Show, and people voted for it this week, where it's Janet and Sarah and I just fielding people's gaming sins, and it's a it's a weird time. So you can check that out on YouTube. Thank you for watching us live, Kelsey. Oh, yeah, it was, it was funny. Okay, okay. Um, so here we go. Chris writes in with his gaming sin. Back when World of Warcraft released, I was in sixth grade. My dad showed it to me, and I was completely mesmerized. I played on his account and showed it off to my sister, and she was taken in more so by the social aspect of the MMO. She made friends that helped her through the game and managed to level to the max of 60, which I never got in Vanilla WoW. Eventually, she stopped playing, and I got my own account and had my characters transferred over from my dad's account, including my sister's character. Since it had been years since she played, I didn't see the harm in selling all of her stuff, mailing all of her gold to myself, and deleting her character. Until one day she got a laptop, installed WoW on it, and asked me whatever happened to her character. Of course she was upset, and I felt so bad to try and make up for it. I helped her through the game again with quest dungeons and giving her gold whenever. May you find it in your hearts to absolve me of this sin. Yeah, so what, what is that? That's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, do we absolve them or are we passing judgment? I, that, I feel like the real, the real sin is just not talking to the sister before doing that. You know, because yeah. it's not just like, it's like, it's not just deleting a 
save file really it's like like disassembling the <laughs> everything that they made i don't understand why he had to delete it right was there a character limit in like, original wow probably like if right? you i i i do understand i don't condone but i understand being like they're done with this and maybe i can have their stuff you should have asked your sister that's Holy right crap. i'm sure she probably would have let you have some of that stuff but like uh yeah the the like ending with deletion <laughs> is it's like a slow death it's ritual odd. that you performed on this character it's very upsetting <laughs> uh yeah kyle so um you know we can absolve them if we want the way we did it on new show plus is you have to determine fair or foul just like most priests do i think and this is this seems a little bit foul the only part is like he said it had, been, so. it had been years uh, well they also know. went and tried to make it up to them by yeah, like yeah you know, expressing regrets is important like that's they right. know they messed up they that's seem right. willing to change that's right that's important uh kenneth evans writes in and says judge my gaming sin my husband of 28 years does not know how much time i actually spend gaming he thinks i spend an hour here or there gaming but doesn't know about the marathon sessions that happen when he's not home is this a sin how much guilt should i have over hiding my gaming addiction interesting okay that they're using some interesting words here like yes addiction and hiding right like, right i is your husband going to have like a problem with this probably not or? i would imagine this is a more lighthearted question well i feel yeah. like kind of the question and this is i i don't want this to sound like does your husband know what you're doing but like what does he think is happening when you are home playing like marathon sessions of games, you know, like, does he have kind of a fundamentally different picture of what your life looks like? That, is, that seems like an issue. You think you'd want to understand in a rough is sense. just like my my wife loves to read. She reads all day. And then actually you're playing like Doom or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I think Norco. it's all of these. I feel like you could ask a thousand follow up questions, but overall, this doesn't seem so bad. Playing more that games seems, than your husband yeah. realizes that that seems fine. That seems all right. That seems all right. You're fine, Kenneth. Uh, Devin writes in and says, judge my sin, min maxers. When I was nine, my friend rented NFL Blitz 2002 from Blockbuster. I asked if I could try it out. So he secretly let me borrow it. Somehow I lost the game. And when the rental was up, he took the fall for me. His mom ended up having to pay full price for the game and didn't let him rent anything from Blockbuster for a long time. Several months later, I found it wedged between my dresser and the wall, and I didn't tell my friend because I felt so terrible and didn't want to bring it up. So I decided to keep it. I sold it on eBay a decade later in college for some beer money. How do you judge my sin? Guilty. Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I... I think the fact that he honestly lost it and he was honest with his friend at that point, this seems okay to me. This is better I'm than stealing the game. how you sell a, an outdated sports game on eBay. <laughs> yeah, what is this beer? I mean, I, I'm For curious. Beer, it, was a, it was a $3 PBR. <laughs> <laughs> but it was unbelievable. Yeah, this, this seems right. fair. I feel like your mom should have known because... It's very nice of your friend to take the fall for you. Yeah. I feel like all the children in this were consenting to everything that was happening, and that's great and everything, but, like, really, you should be the one that got in trouble. So, like, you should have told your mom that 
you lost the game and then like you guys take the fall for the mm-hmm. or just rental. like give the friend the game you know be like hey your mom paid for this and you got in mm-hmm. trouble so like at least you can play yeah. it now like <laughs> and now it's yours you've paid mm-hmm. for it yeah i do i do wonder if it kind of drove a wedge in their friendship though i understand that feeling of like yeah, he felt so terrible about it through the deal of like opening that wound back up or maybe his friend was really pissed at him. He wasn't able to rent more from Blockbuster. It's like, is it worth it for NFL Blitz 2002? Eh, you know, that's tough. That's tough, Tevin Brooks. Uh, thank you for your gaming sins. Uh, hey, there's a new show plus show. And if it wins next week, you can submit your sin over there and we'll, we'll keep judging them there. Um, what do y'all like for a question of the week? I like the I like- lies we told as children. Really? For the okay. Haro story? I thought that was fun. <laughs> All right. Solid. I also thought Kyle's story in that was very funny. <laughs> I like that. I like the um, people in the industry you want to meet. I like the, and don't let me color these, but I like the 10 out of 10 Saints Row versus 5 out of 10 Breath of the that Wild. One, oh, yeah. yeah I like, that's I like my, that's my favorite. Because now on. I'm just going to be thinking about 10 out of 10 Saints Row. <laughs> hang on. Was that a unanimous decision? Or Kelsey, how are you feeling about these? Yeah, I, I, my answer was going to be the would you rather stuff. So. Awesome. All right, there we go. Like Congratulations. It. An attack Corgi uh, IM-8 bit will ship you out a fully functioning cartridge for Mega Man X, a legacy cartridge. Thanks so much. Uh, now it's time for something that we call Get a Load of This. We call it Get a Load of This unless Kelsey um, hasn't been able to find one. No, I have, I okay. have something. Oh, amazing. I just send it to you somewhere. Oh, sure. Yeah, maybe uh, Slack would actually be easiest. Um, I'll I'll start things off. Mine is not um, it's not the deepest cut, but hey, get a load of this. Um, Kyle Bossman, formerly of Easy Allies, he has his own YouTube channel called Delayed Input, which I enjoy quite a bit just for uh, weekly video essays. A little jokier than yours, Jacob Geller. Not that it's a competition, Um, but he had just a very basic take on the whole PlayStation Plus expansion thing that I thought framed it very well where he was bringing it up just as a comparison to Netflix. And he's like, it's such a weird thing to lead with the total number of games on this service. That's not what matters. Like, has Netflix ever gone out there and said, we have 42,312 films. Like, no one cares. What people care about are the exclusives. And his angle in this uh, video essay was just like, they should just make weird one-offs that are technically PlayStation branded for PlayStation Plus and make those exclusive to the higher things. Like, hey, here's here's a new Ape Escape game where you have to capture one ape. And he was kind of jokey about it, but I'm like, I think there is something there. It's like, hey, here's an abandoned prototype from Naughty Dog available for the highest PlayStation Plus subscriber thing. Like, I think there's some cool avenue there just for actual exclusive stuff, kind of like Nintendo's doing with Mario 35 and all that stuff. Yeah, well, they also... I mean, because Nintendo also gives you like weird save states or like Super Metroid, yeah, and stuff. It's which cool. Is, like that kind of stuff is 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 weird and like gets me more interested in going to look back at those games than just like oh yeah, these games are available now. <laughs> Kelsey, what's just, wrong? Kelsey just sent me your get a little of this. I thought it was going to oh. have like audio that I have to play, but Kelsey, this is just a picture. Do you want to explain it? Yeah, I do. It's a it's a very good uh, Twitter account. Uh, sorry, get a load of this. Thank you. Uh, there's a really stupid Twitter account uh, called Dark Souls Toilet, and uh, <laughs> it's uh, no need for further explanation. It, yeah, it, it, it's just really like threatening photos of toilets with various places from from software games superimposed over them. So the one I sent <laughs> Ben is a. Uh, 
it, it's a room that's entirely lit red with like some straw on the floor and there is a toilet in the corner and then there's like just giant birds in there like I don't I don't know what kind of birds but they're they're very like you know dinosaur looking birds like yeah. kind of like three foot tall they they would hurt if they kick you uh-huh. kind of birds uh and uh it's it's obviously uh uh Khaled or Khaled or whoever you pronounce that from uh, yeah from Elden Ring it's, it's perfect it's a wonderful Twitter account to scroll through for five minutes and be like, haha, yeah, and then and then you're done. That's it. Perfect. Uh, there's links below, by the <laughs> way, if you want to check out any of these things. Uh, Jacob, you got one? Uh, get a load of this. So people love to group me in with people who make, like, three-hour essays on games. Right, you know, they're right. like, oh, I love watching those. And it's like, I don't do that. I think most of those three-hour essays on games are not good Ooh. and they are like not not paced well and just kind of end up being laundry lists of things however uh the one exception is actually the man who i mentioned earlier in this video noah caldwell gervais who made this week a five-hour dark souls trilogy video called i beat the dark souls trilogy and all i made was this lousy video essay that is an unbelievable piece of writing of huh. just just going through all of the games and ben i really think you should watch at least the beginning of this because okay. a lot of his thesis is my whole life i have been not a particularly like reflexy skilled gamer and everyone just always told me like oh well this guy can never play dark souls like you have to be too good and like on not only how that undersells the series, but like how much he found that to not be the case mm. and how like flexible and willing to work with him. The Dark Souls games were um, it's just a brilliant piece of writing. He's the only guy who I trust to talk about games for like five hours at a time. Cool. Uh, it's a very, very good video. Cool. Links below. Um, hey, here's one from the community. Um, sorry to be a downer, but I think it's an interesting little tidbit here uh, from the community get a load of this i'm sorry i didn't grab their name whoever submitted it forgive me please anyways uh they posted the story from the verge about how uh the prince of saudi arabia now owns snk creators of hmm. fatal fury metal slug um for the description here they say that the electronic gaming development company which is owned by Mohammed bin salman's foundation holds now 96.18 percent of snk's shares um, which is just a wild development to think they're like, oh, even just Fatal Fury being in Smash, they have like Nintendo having to license things like connecting technically to the royal family of Saudi Arabia and all of their horrific crimes in the past. It is just a wild state for the game industry these days that they're pushing hard into the game space. Um, so, hey, not to bum everybody out, but uh, hey, Kyle, you got one? Uh, yeah, hey, get a load of this. Just going to read some YouTube comments. That okay. I came across uh, on the Elden Ring multiple messages things. I don't mind if there are multiple mm. that say the same thing, mm-hmm. as long as it's right mm-hmm. and useful. Mm-hmm. As long as mm-hmm. I get the info I need, I don't mind. Mm-hmm. That's from yet another mm-hmm. account. Mm-hmm. Uh, Liz Phillips here. Kyle. Yeah, Kyle's mic isn't working. Um, it's really unfortunate that he's been brought in this situation. It's about the same thing than one note. Keep doing it, please. Wow. Smiley face, thumbs okay. up. Right. Uh, Chris Calkins oh, says okay. to defend okay. Kyle. I think it's a Culkins nice reassurance when you come across <laughs> multiple messages. Uh-huh. saying the same thing 
in certain uh-huh. cases, whether it's a heads up about an item somewhere, an ambush or a secret passage. Look, you get enough YouTube comments. And then finally, Johnny Breyer says, to defend Kyle, I think it's a nice reassurance when you come across multiple messages that uh-huh. say the same thing in certain cases, whether it's a head up, heads up or, you know, similar to what right. the, the last person said. Right. So, Look, let's just... Next- just wanted to share some of those. I thought they were kind of interesting. I thought it was a yeah. good fit for Get a Load of This. That's smart. Uh, just about the topic of, you know, doubling up on messages you might find in Elden That's Ring smart. to help other players. Let's this do this. a lot of from software in this get a load of this. <laughs> yeah, there really is. Uh, <laughs> they released a new game, turns out. Next week for the podcast, let's just have the same people on and go over the exact same topics. And I bet we'll get some YouTube comments that say, I like this, and then we'll all feel validated. Just keep doing it again and again. No, that's fine, Kyle. Yeah, teach their own, except for the way you do it. Um, all right. That's it, everybody. Thank you so much. Uh, we have some things coming up at MinMax here. Uh, we're going to be streaming with cohorts and contributors uh, Thursday. So if you're watching or, or listening to this early, give us a follow on Twitch. Get ready for that. Otherwise, the archive will be up on YouTube. Um, also, check out Steam Secret Stash with Sarah Pozorski and Ana Diaz, the grand return of Ana. Uh, so those two ch- uh, playing a bunch of wild games, and that's up on YouTube now if you're listening to this. Um, also, our Patreon-exclusive podcast called Party Chat, which you unlock at the $5 tier, and it goes right in your favorite podcast app. It's the easiest way of, you know, basically doubling all of your MinMax podcast content every week. Anyways, but Party Chat this week, we talked about the death of E3. Uh, Joe Juba was on that one. Um, we talk about Judd Apatow's The Bubble. Kyle, what was that show that you and Jeff talked about? Uh, old Enough on Netflix? Old Enough. Yeah, very good show. I started watching that. It's It's fantastic. It's, really good. it's just a bunch of it's a Japanese show from like 2008 where it's just like 10 minute episodes of children wandering around Japan. Very young Japanese children. Yeah, yeah. if you want to see a three year old Japanese cute child trying to do complex tasks on their own and just failing miserably, it's really wonderful. Uh, very yeah, hard. Or moment. succeeding. The success is just as exciting. They always get it done. It's amazing. Um, hey, thank you so much for being here, Jacob, Kelsey. Appreciate it. Uh, Kelsey, do you got anything going on you want to point people towards? Uh, hmm. Hmm. Not, not off the top of my head. I'm sure there is, but put me on the spot there. You have a podcast that's very good. Mm, thank you. Oh, well, I just wanted to hear you say it. Yeah. So. Okay. <laughs> and it's, it- uh, yeah, the, the video game history <laughs> oh, okay, hour there we go. is a podcast I do every week with Frank Spaldi, the founder of the Video Game History Foundation. And... Uh, it's it's a good time if you want to learn some video game history. Yeah, it, it's unbelievable. I know you weren't on the, the full episode, but the episode um, with the Nintendo Power reunion was interesting. And it was one of those things of like, was I hearing this right? Where there was a question from the community because they named so many things, like this group of people that were on the show, you know, it was them talking about, I mean, the woman who named Link to the Past was on there and talking about naming enemies Link to the Past and stuff was really cool. Gail Tilden is so much more than the woman who named Link <laughs> I'm to the sorry, past. but just like for an interesting <laughs> little tidbit. Um, but then the part where uh, they asked about the origins of Bowser's name and why it was changed from Koopa to Bowser. And like, at least the people that were on, they're like, yeah, we were there during the time. We just, we don't know how or why that happened. Is there really no record of why Bowser's name is Bowser? Yeah, I mean, you're you're talking about a version of Nintendo of America that was like 10 employees for a while, you know? And it's just like, if if you're having a conversation like around the one table that exists as like the break room, you know, like this is a tiny, this is a really tiny company for a while. And these are just people who were doing a job. There wasn't, um, there wasn't like a robust video game industry at the time, you know, the, the game crash was only... Like it was kind of still there, you know, yeah. still feeling the effects of that. And it's like to a lot of these people, it wasn't until 
much later in their lives that they realized they were like launching something huge. And so they weren't they weren't even thinking to pay attention to, you know, random conversations like that. These, these didn't feel like monumentous decisions. I'm, I'm right. sure when they were having them, it was just like, I don't know, we got to do something about this. Uh, any ideas? OK, cool. We'll go with that. That's so wild to think that okay, Bowser, we don't know where it came from. Nobody remembers. Like if somebody <laughs> would have written something down, maybe, but it's wild. But yeah, Video Game History Hour podcast. Check it out. Um, also, everybody, uh, the deepest dive on Chrono Cross is happening. We talked about it a little bit last week, but this is going to be a fun time. So it's myself, Joe Juba, Kyle Hilliard, and then Rebecca Valentine from IGN, who's a big Chrono Trigger, Chrono Cross fan. So this is your chance. Look, here's the thing. Chrono Cross... If you love it, I feel like you really love it. If you never played it, there's a chance you will love it. But there aren't many of us. So please, this is your moment. This is you, everybody. This is all we got. We need to savor Chrono Cross and the big remaster for all it's worth. So you can join our big community game club discussion by playing along with us, submitting comments over on Patreon. It supports at the $2 tier. Or if you just want to listen to what will genuinely be the best, most thorough discussion about Chrono Cross on the internet, you can unlock the podcast version of that by supporting us on Patreon. Otherwise, any help sharing it on YouTube would be appreciated because it would be a fun time. Kyle, how are you feeling about uh, Chrono Cross coming up here? Um, I'm a little nervous. You know, yeah. it's a big RPG. Hopefully I can make my way through it. I, the, the new version has where you can turn off, you know, battles and all that kind of stuff if I get, if I get frustrated with it. So. Yeah. so that'll be good. So I'm sensing fear in your voice for diving into Chrono oh, Cross what? for the first time? No, it's going to be... Yeah. Oh, it's to like... play like an old game, an old outdated game that probably doesn't... Outdated. Who knows how it hold, might be terrible. No. Okay, well, maybe you'll be the voice of reason for everybody else just gushing about their childhoods on this thing, but I can't wait to unpack Chrono Cross for a very long time. So look forward to that. Again, the stopping point for the first discussion is after you finish Viper Manor. Uh, so stop there, and then we'll be collecting your comments over on Patreon. Um, Jacob Keller, I'm sorry, did you have a, a plug, dude? Uh, sure. If you're if you're over 18 years of age, because YouTube has age restricted the video, uh, you can watch a new video that I just put out called uh, "Head Transplants and the Non-Existence of the Soul," um, <laughs> which I do think is very good and was doing very well until uh, YouTube decided it should not be seen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a good sign. Uh, it's it's the hardcore edgiest video you made, man. It makes it cooler. It's not some corporate swill That's for right. everybody. <laughs> That's the the real heads will will find that one. That's right. Um, thank you to everybody at our game champion tier. If you support us at the $50 tier on Patreon, you can choose any game under the sun to become the official champion of. We tweet about it. You're in every MinMax uh, podcast and video description. Uh, thank you to Matt who's officially the game champion for the Elder Scrolls III Morrowind. Excellent choice, Matt. Excellent. And uh, there'll be a reason coming up soon where you'll want to choose something cool. Uh, Pepperoni Forever has chosen Silent Hill 2. Officially the game champion. Don't even think about it. I know that Voidburger over at Giant Bomb, she likes to claim she's the champion of Silent Hill 2, but nay! It is Pepperoni Forever, officially the game champion for Silent Hill 2. So again, claim any game under the sun, and uh, there'll be a big competition coming up that should be interesting all right that's it everybody thank you so much for watching listening and sharing the min show podcast we'll see you next week be good have fun let's go 